welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. And tonight we are joined by our good friend, Mr. Nick Mutton. He will be coming on to talk to us about responsible egg management. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well... <laughs> We'll find out. <laughs> this, this may be one of those controversial episodes because apparently, see, see, you we and I, Owen, we yeah, we don't pay okay. attention to Facebook all too much or social no. media or I hate that place. Any, <laughs> anything <laughs> like horrible, that. Horrible, horrible place. Yeah. But apparently, there's a lot of drama about cutting eggs. Uh, should you do it? Shouldn't you do it? You know, et cetera, well, et cetera. And we had that discussion, I think, last show. I said, there's in my mind, there's a difference between manually pipping and cutting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know where and – and this has got to be the same kind of thing of, like, where do you draw the line? When does it become a manually pipped? When does it become a cut? When does it become an extraction? When does it – like, you know, it's – yeah, yeah I, there's lots of different things here. So, And uh, was it? I think – Warren said something in the uh, NPR chat over the weekend, and he was like, "The good thing about Bo is, is you know, there's there's no there's no cutting involved." I'm like, "Well, you know, you, you can't manually birth them." I'm like, "Well, you could. It's just so violent, and there'd only be one time." <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, there is an advantage to Bo's, I guess, right? <laughs> there's no advantage to Bo's. No one. No, there's none. Ouch. I say um, this and I made a horrible mistake, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh, that's, that's never good. Uh, well, I mean, though I don't really, you know, don't rules pose. That's all I'm going to say. So then we're moving on. Uh, that's right. You did tell me about that. You did tell did me about that. that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a cool boa. Mm-hmm. I like those. No, if I was going to keep no. a boa, that would be uh, one that I would no, keep. No, because I'm looking at it, I'm like, why? Why did I do this? <laughs> why are you here? <laughs> what yeah. have I done? Yeah. Right. So, um, so yeah, we're going to have him on, and um, Nick has produced, I got, I would millions. say thousands. <laughs> millions. Millions. The man has, I think you've, I think you've become, I think you've made it. When an incubator is no longer big enough for you, you have to what's called have what's called the incubation room, where you have to heat a small walk-in closet <laughs> to fill <laughs> to fill with eggs. Yeah. When you've right. gotten there, I, I, there, you arrived. All right, so like you know, Nick has apparently built one of those according to Facebook. So you know, there you go. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think he may have had, I I don't know, he'll get into it, but uh, I think what led to us to uh, put the show together was that he had lost uh, some, some babies um, due to the fact that uh, they couldn't get out of the egg. And again, there's right. a bit, like you said, there's a huge difference between, you know, uh, <laughs> dare I say, like cutting the top off of it and scooping it out with your finger <laughs> <laughs> but, There's a few oh, people that do that. Like, oh, all right, all right. There's the difference between cutting a tiny window for the baby to, and not even cutting the sack. I'm just cutting, cutting the shell, and yeah. allowing the baby to see daylight to go out, and it will slice the sack itself. There's a difference between that and slicing 
the egg around the side and then hooking the baby out with your finger and then dropping it onto like a tray. I mean like that. I don't know. I think that's a, that's a bit much for me. It's the second. And I think, I mean, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I, I guess this really became in the spotlight really when, you know, morphs became the thing. And, um, you know, people were trying to see what they produced. So they I do cut. love that. You know, I, I I do love looking in the egg and seeing or or watching what's pipped and seeing that. I get that. That's awesome. Right. But some people just don't. Some people just don't do. I I, I guess they just don't think. Because I mean, have you ever been to a show where you saw eggs hatching at a reptile show? No. But I do okay. have I go ahead. After that I'm gonna to talk to you about something that my something go ahead. Alright. <laughs> I have. I know that was kinda of weird. Go ahead. <laughs> it was very but I have and it was an acrylic display and it had um Burmese Python eggs in them. And okay. the babies were hatching at the show and the windows were being cut and you could buy the baby and they pull it out of the egg and put it in the deli cup for you. And then you walk out the door and I was oh, just like, God, oh, God. <laughs> oh, what show was this at? <laughs> Hamburg? Yeah. It had to be Hamburg. It was a Hamburg. And I think I forget what was so important about these things. I want to say that they were like albino, labyrinth or something in the early 2000s and i don't know if that was a thing i don't know burmese pythons they're just big yeah so yeah. it's I, I you know it labyrinth is kind of a rare mutation okay. in burmese, especially yeah. back then yeah <laughs> okay like, we talk, but it wasn't 20 it's not pie berm it's not twenty five thousand dollars. it's no. like you know but still it was a significant amount of money but i don't understand the whole like you want this one rip out of egg throw it deli cup off now, you go it's like you don't know what that thing is going to do. It, yeah. I, I will say this when, mm-hmm. I, well, my very first Burmese Python that I bought was mm-hmm. bought that way at Martin's Aquarium. Oh my God. <laughs> but that was a pet shop. But what, it, what, it, what, you know, you, and they didn't sell it until it was out of the, it's not like they scooped it out. It's like, which one do you want? And, you know, it wasn't anything like that. It was, you know, they cut the, you know, that no, they had, um, well, you remember you remember where the reptile room in Martin's Aquarium was in the back, right? Dude, it's, I was so young that I kind of remember, yeah. but oh, I good can't. I, you don't remember? Wow. The floor. I don't know. I don't remember <laughs> like, the floor plan. I don't remember like the floor three, plan of the place. Well, remember how you yeah. would walk in and you would walk yes. around like a it was like a U, and as you're yes. walking through there, there was like uh, fish, and then when you were mm-hmm. at the at the bottom of the U, it was um, uh, birds and stuff like parrots. Yes. And then yes. you would swing around to the other end, and then as you got to the other end, out onto the floor was like, you know, like dog cages and cat scratching mm-hmm. posts and shit like that. And then mm-hmm. if you walked across that, there was like the reptile aisle, and then on the other right. aisle was like the feeders and stuff and the mammals and all that kind of shit. Well, right. anyway, <laughs> they had like on the one side, like to the left, it was all like uh, glass cages and stuff like glass tanks mm-hmm. and stuff like that and then to the right was like those almost like eugene Bissett's cages you know like those big yes. huge melamine with the uh 
you know, the pegboard fronts and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pegboard. Um, so they 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 put the eggs in. I guess it was in some kind of incubator of some sort where it was getting heat, but they were kind of like in like a little, like the same size box as like a 15 quart, you know, tub, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think it was that, but whatever it was, it was sitting in there. And anyway, you know, I think I was like maybe 10 or 12. I don't know, <laughs> but I was the, uh, you know, I, I think since the story before, my grandmother got some money, so she gave us all like a hundred bucks. And my dad's like, uh, "What do you want to get?" And I'm like, "A snake." And he's like, "What do you want?" And I'm like, "A python." And we went and we bought this Burmese python. And, you know, we're like, "Woohoo, Burmese python!" And then, dude, it got it was freaking huge in like a year. I'm like, like Wait yeah. a second. Are you kidding me? I'm we fed it like, and they're eating like it. large rats. I'm doomed. Yeah. yeah. We we fed it like uh, you know, like a pet a pet snake keeper would. You know what I mean? Like it was a pet oh, like, like once oh, a week. Every week. One, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A rabbit once a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, as God. big as you could possibly get like <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Here yes. I am like right at the front of the tank. Meanwhile, it's like, you know, I think that thing grew to be 18 feet. The thing was humongous. Oh my God, it was so big. Anyway, um, before we get Nick on, because I see he's, he's hanging on there. So my sister, as of recent, has gotten into reptiles, right? Um, oh, okay. she got a yeah. So she got a turtle. So she's talking to me about turtles, and I'm I tell her I'm like I really know nothing about turtles. Um, but she's talking and asking me all these questions and whatnot, breeders, blah blah blah, um, and. She's like, everybody that I try to talk to is friends with you on Facebook. And I'm like, wow, you're like a Facebook stalker. Like, that's just so weird. That, like, <laughs> oh, I, I think know. she friended me on Facebook today. <laughs> so I'm like, Colleen, who is probably. Yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> so, so she's looking to get, um, she got a turtle. So she has these two turtles. And now she wants to get a tortoise. And mm. then she wants to get some kind of gecko. So she's talking to me about it, right? So she sends me this email, and she's like, Eric, take a look at this. Does this sound like something? Well, anyway. All the things they don't have. Th- yeah. There's a turtle <laughs> breeder, right, that they send okay. an egg to you in the mail. No. No. Yeah. And then no. you put it in an incubator, and it hatches out in like 24 no. hours. No. No. Yeah. But wait, the weirdest thing is, it's like There's sitting more. in a deli cup. Yeah, but they put it in between bread, <laughs> so it's like it's like an egg what? sandwich that's like just wait. the egg surrounded by bread. Dude, no. it's the weirdest I thing. Mean, I'm gonna send you this email so you can look at. Do it. Do they overnight like, it? I mean, like you know, because they have guess, to, right? Yeah, but how do you? No. Can, how do you they keep? Can't. Maybe turtles don't need that kind of consistent temperature. I, I don't know, man. I, maybe well, once it, they get to a certain point, they're they're good to they're go. Solid, but and like, they're gonna rock and roll. But I mean, they do guarantee no. it because that's what I asked her. I'm like, well, what if it doesn't hatch? You know, does this or dude have like, just that many turtle eggs that he doesn't care? Yeah, and I'm like. <laughs> So she's like, do you think you could do that with snake eggs? I'm like, shut up. No. Shut up. No. <laughs> Don't even bring that up. Don't even because start that. We're not doing that. No. Yeah. Brand new at Rogue you. Reptiles, you pay us, we'll send you a bread lie egg. <laughs> oh, dear. In the mail. 
between Anyhow. two genuine, genuine Wawa hoagie rolls. You can get that <laughs> and a bread lie egg yes. and a right. Wawa hoagie roll for your enjoyment. Right. It'll be good to uh, go. Oh, dumb. But <laughs> oh, this hobby, it just keeps surprising me, man. Every I turn it. I take, I am surprised <laughs> at another facet of the hobby I had no idea existed. Uh, we play, so, if, yeah. if, if mailing eggs becomes a thing and it's traced back to this episode, I quit. I quit. Uh, <laughs> I quit everything. All right? I'm done. Yeah. I I hope not. <laughs> Don't mail your eggs. I guess turtles please don't do this. Too. I don't know, but you know, I don't. snakes. It's no. Please don't do, don't do it. Just please take yeah. care of your eggs, and then like get the babies going, maybe, and then sell them. Like I don't understand. <laughs> right. So, which which is a perfect segue into you know Nick and some egg management talk. So I mean, Nick has produced, like we said. I, good lord, it millions. seems like millions of millions. snakes. You know what I mean? So he has such a huge amount of data that he has worked through um, in seeing these different things, especially with carpet pythons. Um, and, you know, it's what led... So, so this is what I would say. Like, to people that are just coming in, maybe you're tuning in, hello, how you doing? Welcome to the show. But here's how it goes. Um <laughs> You know, breeders like Nick, who've bred and and produced so many offspring, have sort of fine-tuned their system to be a certain way to be, uh, you know, so that you hatch baby pythons. You know to what be I mean? successful. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like... <laughs> you know, the ultimate goal is to hatch the carpet python or whatever python it would be. I mean, that is the goal when you're breeding, you know. Um, and you want to hatch a healthy baby. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I, and we'll get into this. I mean, I don't know. Why doesn't snakes pop out of the egg? Did they lose the egg tooth? Did they, you know, did they try like hell and it falls off? I mean, shit, nature, you know, nature doesn't give a shit, man. Like, <laughs> some are going to live and some are going to die. This is how it goes. You know, and you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of, I, I'm sort of the mindset that you want to try to, you, you know, if you're trying to recreate uh, nature in a box, um, it's I don't know, man. Like, why not give every advantage you possibly can? You know, and, well, and again, we're not talking yeah. about like like we said earlier, like slicing the top off and like scooping the baby out, juice and all. <laughs> And like, just like, oh, look at this, you know. Congratulations, you've hatched. It's like, yeah, no, it's like, no, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but, but Nick will be able to tell us much better. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, you know, yeah, we yeah. hope. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, just, we're just rambling idiots. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah no, we, we we clearly are idiots. That's yeah. Sure. It's, it's hey, Nick, welcome <laughs> to the show. How you doing, man? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Every time I'm just listening to like kind of the the opening monologue of YouTube, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're like the two old yeah, uh, that sit up in the balcony, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh my god. So yeah, egg management. Uh, yeah. It seems like it's a topic that uh, I started getting like 
because I know everybody. And I started getting, like, little kind of behind-the-scenes requests, like, you should speak up and say something. Maybe people will actually listen because this is getting crazy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I made kind of a ranting post about the subject that kind of led to this uh, episode, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like a lot of people where you just – you kind of have – everybody has their own personal sort of bullshit meter. And eventually it just kind of maxes, and eventually it maxes out, and you just like gotta call bullshit. It's like it's just crazy, <laughs> nonsensical pseudoscience. Just gets to the point where a breaking point, and just, you just can't take it anymore, and you just gotta speak it up. And this is has officially gone there. Uh, there are other issues of late that uh, have gone there as well that are kind of akin to this. Um, and uh, I mean, ultimately, I think, uh, I think it was Scott Borden did a nice little blog about those subjects. I think it was Scott. But about this kind of trend of late for, you know, people newer to the hobby to kind of anthropomorphize uh, and then wax poetically about such things when it's just totally not applicable at all. Um, <laughs> you know, talking about what's natural or not natural is, in this context is just utterly absurd. <laughs> like the, the anti-egg cutting people, it, 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 it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Like it's not, it's basically argument comes out to it's not natural. It's like I, yeah, I don't want to be like super blunt, but yeah, maybe I do. Maybe I need to be blunt. I don't know. Uh, it's like blunt. spoiler alert to anybody listening. Spoiler alert to anyone listening to this podcast. Nothing you're doing is natural. Nothing. <laughs> we keep what. They're in a we box. We keep wild animals in, pla- in plastic boxes of various sizes. We manipulate the temperature. We control what they eat. Guess what? They don't eat the right thing. We feed them Eurasian, domesticated Eurasian rats that are fed lab diet and domesticated European house mice. Not lizards. Not, you know, not possums. Not anything they should be eating. They're not in the wild. They don't live in a dirty tree eating a scraggly marsupial. They live in a plastic box eating a domesticated animal from the halfway around the world, and we control every variable. We provide the perfect amount of nutrition, hopefully. We provide this unbelievably sanitary sort of conditions compared to what it really probably should be. And then, you know, we take the damn eggs away from them and put the eggs in their freaking box and incubate the eggs, and then people scream that cutting them is not natural. Like, well, none of this was natural. It's an entirely <laughs> unnatural endeavor from the yeah. beginning. So why are you drawing this like completely arbitrary line? It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it like at all. It's, it's, it's kind of like the Amish, like up by you. Oh, anyway, it's like I don't quite understand. Yeah. Like okay, this is where you're, you're going to reject technology. Ill? You're going to yeah. reject technology, but we're going to draw a completely arbitrary line in the mid 19th century. From that point on, <laughs> any technological advancement after the steam engine. Uh, we're gonna reject and anything before that is cool. Like what? Where, where did that come? From? Like where did that come from? And it's literally like when the steam engine was well, actually when the steam engine was reinvented. Because fun fact for those of you who aren't big history buffs like me, steam engine was invented in the second century A.D. by Herod of Alexandria in kind of the late Roman late period of Roman history, and then kind of got forgotten and then rediscovered 1600 mm. years later, kickstarting an industrial kickstarting industrial revolution. Nobody figured out what to do with it, or to, no one ever figured out in Roman times how to just put a gear on the side of the damn thing and make it do work. It was just a novelty. But, <laughs> but you know, how's that for like I'm the king of getting off on a tangent? How's that for? A yeah, it's good, dude. We like it. Yeah, right. I, now, now, now we all know. Right. <laughs> now half the people oh. listening are going to have to go home and Google Roman steam engine. They're like, what the shit? 
like, fun thing you didn't know. I keep seeing that that rainbow also, and the star, the, also, the you know the yeah, NBC the things used to you know. Play, yeah. like, <laughs> the more you know, yeah, or whatever. Also, like. Google uh, Google Antikythera mechanism, which is a ancient Greek analog computer that's over two thousand years old. So, so Damn. Uh, yeah, 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 pretty tech for the late Bronze Age, but. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, this, we're nothing – none of this is natural. Quit pretending it's natural and that you're doing natural things. You're not. You're keeping, living, you're keeping animals in plastic boxes and making eggs. You're, mm-hmm. you're, nature isn't choosing who mates. Nature isn't even choosing who survives. We're choosing everything. So none of it's right. natural. It's just not a valid sort of argument. And mm-hmm. I have – I mean, you alluded to – I mean, it's true. And I don't totally blow my own horn here, but I've had a fair number of these things, like thousands. <laughs> like, I couldn't even – I can't even begin to t- – well, I'm sitting here because I have to multitask because I have a million snakes and I don't have any employees. It's just me. So I'm sitting here making lineage charts for this year's clutches. I've already made 37 clutches worth of lineage charts for 2019. 37 clutches. Holy and shit. that's just this year. And honestly, it's a crap year. I'm having really low numbers. And then I'm only going to produce 400 baby carpets. Only 400. See, and it's that's... like you know, a lot of small clutches. And it's a lot of bad luck, really. Uh, it, you know, a bunch of uh, unfortunate uh, infertile eggs and stuff, which kind of happens to everybody sometimes. So. Well, it uh, happened to so me this year. Like a, if anybody's had a crappy season, they're listening to this, they're kind of down on it, uh, just know that this hobby will kick you square in the nuts on a pretty <laughs> regular basis. You probably didn't even do anything wrong because I've been doing this a long damn time, and I dare say I know how to, I know how to breed carpet pythons. I'm hammered <laughs> this year. It's kind of... I think a lot of things people tend to kind of internalize a bit too much, and they tend to like, oh, I had a crappy year. Maybe I did something wrong. And sometimes it's just bad luck, man. Like, it's not necessarily – and I've also – have you noticed this phenomenon where, like, a lot of people have a crappy year all at the same time? Like, everybody I talk to yeah. is having a craptastic season. I don't yeah. know why. It's like there's something – I don't know whether it's, you know, I don't know, some sort of a natural phenomena. I did notice many, many years ago that, like, every time we have a, you know, remember the El Nino thing they never talk about anymore? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of ocean current phenomenon. That, uh-huh. Yeah. Well, because we've been in basically yeah. a permanent El Nino. The climate has changed sufficiently to where it's mostly El Nino most of the time now. But yeah. before when it wasn't, it was like every seven or eight years, you'd see a fairly predictable, all the bow constrictor breeders crap out on El Nino years. You'd see, hmm. not all of them, but you'd see, like, a higher, a higher incidence of crappy litters and things. And that. So there are kind of sort of macro sort of factors that we don't have any control over, really, or even a very good understanding of that are probably at work behind the scenes to undermine our best efforts with this stuff. Right. But, yeah, everybody <laughs> has bad seasons. Uh, yeah. I know I, I have them all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but, yeah, and uh, I guess the – as far as the egg management, the, the kind of topic of the day, uh, there's nothing wrong with managing your eggs. And you're kind of being silly if you don't. Uh, and I, I'm okay with people that want to be super Darwinian about it and take this, well, you know, if it's not enough strong to get out of the egg, then, you know, it basically doesn't deserve to live. It's like, well, I guess you can take that position. We don't take that mm. position with literally anything else, do we? Like, by that logic, I should only have one side and not two, because one of them wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for medical science. Should we have just let that go sideways? No. That's ridiculous. <laughs> right. You know, if we are into yeah. these animals or any animals and we really like and love this hobby and these animals and we're really into it, why on earth would we want to just, just neglect by 
by lack of any modest effort, allow things to die that otherwise would live and thrive. That doesn't make any sense. Mm, and what right. really kind of incensed me about this is it's gone beyond just people taking that position, and then it's gone beyond people taking that position and pontificating irrationally about it. It's gone to the point of people like almost cyber-bullying people that do slip their eggs and like belittling them as if they've got some sort of moral high ground that they frankly just don't have. Um, right. I'm having hatched, I don't even know, at least 5,000 carbon pythons. It's got to be 5,000 if it's any at all at this point, and probably you know, several thousand other pythons of various species. I can tell you, when you got that kind of a sample size, if you slit your eggs, you will hatch more babies that are healthy. You will, you will produce more babies. You will have a much lower incidence of stillborns. You know, the number one, mm-hmm. that's kind of the number one reason, but one of the leading causes of finding dead full-term babies is that egg tooth, for one, isn't a tooth. It's just a scale attached to the rostral scale that is kind of kicked out at a 90-degree angle. It's meant to last just as long as it takes to cut that eggshell, and then it falls off. That's why 90% of the time when you, your babies are sick, they haven't come out of the egg, their heads are sticking out, you don't even see the egg tooth. because it's literally already gone. Yeah. And unfortunately for these guys, uh, not, it's, it's not uncommon at all for that to just fall off inside the egg. They try to slit, it just snaps off, and then that baby drowns. Uh, yeah. and dies kind of slowly asphyxiated, and it happens all the time. I literally split my eggs, and I've lost five babies this year. This year, and I do cut my eggs. Yeah. Wow. And we'll get into the difference between like slitting and cutting, which are different things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, they're very different. And I kind of know where this starts, and I kind of where this kind of started, but it's just gone too far. It needs to, people need to get it under control. Uh, the, and I'm going to name names because I don't fucking care at this point. What are they going to do? <laughs> Take my birthday away from me? No. <laughs> you know, all right, here it is. Like, this is all, if you want to blame anybody for this nonsense, it's flipping Jay Brewer to fucking retakes and Mike Wilbanks and the ball python. Because it's absolutely, it is absolutely ludicrous what these guys do. They mutilate eggs. Anybody's taking a fucking razor blade, a damn razor blade, and just slicing the entire top of an egg off and scooping the baby out because they want to peek, play peekaboo to see what morph they got a day or two early. That is just profoundly irresponsible behavior. It encourages idiots to do idiotic things. It is totally unhealthy for the offspring. When these mm-hmm. kids hatch, even after they split mm-hmm. naturally, they have not. They generally have not absorbed their yolk. That yolk is hugely important to their survival. That, that a drawing of the yolk up into their abdomen is their first meal. It is what triggers their first shed cycle. No yolk, no first shed. Then they sit around with that kind of like egg skin that gets all messed up and they don't shed in a reasonable amount of time. Because yeah, they drop right. a baby that drops its yolk that comes out and drops its yolk. It yes. can be a struggle to keep them alive. Sometimes they don't mm-hmm. make it. It can be really difficult yeah. to keep them alive. They need that nutrient. And when an animal that's an ambush predator that just wants to hide, most of the time, especially the baby, their number one job, hiding and not to avoid being eaten. If you, they're basically encapsulated in the ultimate little hide box in that egg. You chainsaw the top of that egg off, you stress the shit out of a baby that's not quite ready to come out yet, hasn't absorbed its yolk. You have done the utmost effort to encourage it to leave the egg early and drop its yolk or drag it around behind it, neither of which is, is good at all. Like, and that, I think... So I think egg mutilation and cutting the whole top of it off is an insanity that also needs to stop. But demonizing people that do what I'll go into in a minute is also equally just ridiculous. Um, 
Now, there's a couple schools of thought, and then some people are like, well, I wait till the first egg splits on its own, and then I, you know, you cut basically like, at this point, I just cut like a one-inch slit top dead center on the egg. I don't even open it. I don't look. I don't play peekaboo. I just like, I've made a trap door, an escape hatch. If you're poking around, find you it. probably find it, and <laughs> come out when you're ready. Not even, no light goes into it. It's not that kind of a thing. It's just enough to where, in the event that the egg tooth falls off or something like that, they can still, they will likely still survive. The problem so what do you do, is Nick? Even you just, waiting you... until the first one pips, when you wait until the first mm. one pips, there's mm. probably already one that's dead in the damn egg anyway. I had a mm. slut hatch a week early, which is really unusual, like a full week. I like hatched for 47 days, which is insane for a carpet mm. flush. So it wasn't, it wasn't even on my radar because I had three big incubators. I'm almost done with my incubator room, so I finally got all this. <laughs> uh, I'm literally just, I got to finish texture and putting the baseboards and trim up and a little bit of caulking, and I'm structurally done. But, uh, yeah, this thing has, it wasn't, it, I, the eggs are in incubators are kind of staggered by when they, what incubator they're in and where, what position they are in the incubator. I kind of keep constantly arranging these things so that ones that are getting close to hatching <clears> are in the, easiest to access spot and I know where to go look so I, I catch this stuff. This was right. in, the, in the second incubator. It wasn't even the one because it was like at least a week out, probably more because I tend to incubate you know, slightly below 88. So it usually takes like 56 days. And uh, they just hatched a week early and then I, I was out of town. I was at an expo and I come back and I'm like, there's like three babies totally out. I'm like, are you kidding me? And there's like seven eggs that haven't pissed. And I, of course, pissed them. Three dead. Three. Mm. Three did, and that's why I made that post. You should, I picked that one. They're all the same thing. All three of their egg teeth fell off. They were beautiful Brisbane's, the best striped ones, of course. You know, no. it's always the of best course. one that drowns in the egg. It's, it's never, sure. yeah. it's never the worst normal male. It's always like the best thing in the clutch. <laughs> and uh, you can see on the eggshell where they tried to cut the shell, Slice. but the tooth would, fell off, and they just they're, so they're struggling, and it's slowly asphyxiating. And that guy, a lot of people tell me I'm you know, some sort of barbarian for wanting to like not let them drown. I mean, that's crazy. Um, so, and that, that like, literally, I've I, I had two, one other in uh, a couple of other clutches for a total of five of this, and I'm try, kind of on top of this, and it still happens. You, didn't, yeah. you just cast it all to the wind, and you lose, you'll lose babies every year. There's another thing people don't really don't think about, uh, and the two kind of compound each other, too. I'll go into a minute. But something that's, the egg-splitting thing is... Uh, kind of at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, especially of late, because the kind of outrage culture that we have in this country and around the world where people got to find something to be outraged about. Now it's cutting eggs, apparently, this week. <laughs> it's like everyone's like, people looking for something to get pissed out and pissed yeah. off and a little other people for. You know, it's just, oh, don't be jerks to people. That's like, why is that, you know, I'm getting old, and in my younger days, I was much more combative about everything. You know, I had a chip on my shoulder, a big ego, and like a lot of people, you know, I was unique in those regards. But I, the older I get, I just like keep getting mellower and mellower and less confrontational. And now it's like, you know, if you don't know something, there's a cure for ignorance. It's called knowledge. But if you're just you know, kind of stupid, you're just not ever going to get it. And I'm. I've become very comfortable with just letting people be stupid. Like, I just, I can't fix that. Like, I can try. I can try to help you out with the, the knowledge, but if you're not, if you're not going to listen, then I guess you're just going to be stupid. Like, I, okay, fine. <laughs> Whatever. Nope. You know, just do 
like what I, I just let people I don't know maybe even let people fail like I uh, you know typically like the conventional wisdom that expression the conventional wisdom got to be the conventional wisdom for a reason not because it was wrong because it works like why is this there seems to be this constant struggle and uh, not struggle but sort of uh uh, movement to reinvent the wheel. It's like, there's something to be said for if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, mm-hmm. if 90% of my snakes breed, that I, if 90% of the females I try to breed in season produce in a season, and 90% of those eggs hatch, do on a mill, why would I change anything? What are you going to, yeah. you never get 100% of anything is impossible. So what you're doing is working great. Quit messing with it. And this works great. Don't mess with it. Uh, right. It, you know, if you don't want to do it, Fine, but just being a jerk to people, it's like, yeah, why is it so hard? It's so hard for people just not to be a dick sometimes. Like, I, <laughs> you, you think the reptile people are bad? I'm kind of in my old age, midlife crisis guy. I've kind of become a a car guy too. And you think the reptile people are bad? Get on like a car group or something. It's quite a bunch of jerks. Like, it's just, <laughs> like people, I think people they feel like in, emboldened to say things on the internet from this hiding from from the safety of hiding behind their monitor or their phone, and they will just say the most profoundly insulting, rude things to complete strangers that they would literally never say in a million years if they were standing in front of you at a reptile show, but they'll say it on the Internet because uh, it's just, ah, I'm just getting, I, I understand why so many people just kind of like uh, just give up on social media and just say, fuck it, and they're just done. I totally, yeah, well. I totally get that now. <laughs> I'm so close. It, it's I'm just so, so close. <laughs> I get it, man. I'm right there with you. It's like, I just, you have to agree with people. I have friends that I profoundly disagree with on matters of, you know, reptile philosophy, if there is such a thing, politics, whatever. But they're still my friends because they're not jerks about it. You, know, you, don't, you don't have to agree to be respectful. Right. You know, it's like completely, nobody respects anybody in their home. It's just, I'm just so sick of it. And the outrage culture. There's got to be something to be outraged about. It's, you know, it's not really. We're keeping <laughs> snakes in plastic boxes. What are you, you know, they're out of shape for about that stuff. And what's I, even, I fully what's get the, the argument? I yeah. used to be a guy that would get bent out of that I would be the guy getting bent out of shape about stupid stuff years ago. I get that. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it. I was always like puffing my chest up and spoiling for a fight. I get it. I know who I am. I knew who I was. Like, I, I get it. Like, I. I get it. I would, you know, I'd be more than a bit hypocritical if I didn't acknowledge my own sort of bad <laughs> behavior in years past. But, jeez, man, just was it, is, is like, it a matter of have a civil it, discussion about something? Is it a matter of they think what? that it's just more natural or what? Like what? See, I'm not even. I don't even see this. These this shit. So yeah. I, think I'm it's, glad. I, I think it's. I think it's I think it's more a matter of there is a certain percentage of the human population that cannot sleep at night unless they're telling somebody else how to live their life. It doesn't matter what, what aspect of life or existence you're talking about. There are those people they just they cannot sleep at night unless they're just telling, getting up in somebody else's business and doesn't concern them. Like, it's just constant. It's why. Like, you know, it, it, it's maddening. There's no reason for that. Like, be nice to people, man. Like, there's so many cool people in this hobby. It's like, there are. I have so many good friends in this hobby. And a lot of times, like, I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you guys now as you've kind of been pretty well-established breeders in your own right for quite a while now. But, like, 
you'll meet people because they buy a snake from you. But over time, those people that started out as your customer or whatever kind of become your good friends and stuff. And it's really mm-hmm. only sure. that doesn't happen if you're selling cars for a living, where you like you sell a car and that guy becomes your buddy. It's like you know, like that. <laughs> sort of this sort of sense of community and it's kind of unique in a lot of from a lot of other hobbies, and that you that happens, and it's just. Yeah, I feel like they're kind of losing that. People are just jerks anymore. Just so. Yeah. That's my other rant. Don't be a jerk to people. Be nice. <laughs> yeah. Disagree respectfully. That's cool. You know, that's, you know, you got your opinion. You're welcome to spout it off or whatever if you want to. But don't be a jerk for no reason. Yeah. And bully people. It's like, you know what? There was a guy, and it was a carpet clutch, and he, he did, frankly, butcher the eggs. I'll, get, I'll, I'll admit that. He, it looked like he chewed the top off with his teeth or something. Like, I don't, what are you doing? It wasn't even like a, this ragged cut. It's like, did you, what did you cut that with? Like a pair of child scissors, like when you're in preschool? Like, what, was, what did you do? Like, like a saw, like an old-timey, like kind of O-saw or something? I mean, it, he oh, cut the eggs all up. And, it, you know, yeah. that's encouraging them to want to get out of the egg prematurely and but you know that guy that poor guy i don't remember his name is or anything i didn't even chime in on that thread i just let it go but that guy is going to listen to all this negativity and mm. all this stuff and then next year he's going to get another clutch of carpets he's just going to let it ride maybe three dead snakes in the clutch he could have saved because he's a paranoid of the backlash of you know people might say something it's like and that's not that's not cool either it's like neither of these things is cool it's like be responsible responsibly manage your eggs Mm-hmm. Yeah. So make the little slit. If you don't want to, they don't. No one's going to make you do it. It's your clutch. If you want to, if you like looking at the occasional dead baby, knock yourself out. Don't <laughs> brag on other people that merely just, that, don't brag on other people who really just only want the babies they've passed to survive. That's not unreasonable. That's not being cruel. That's just what it is. And if we all just get that across, that'd be great. There are a couple other areas. Um, as far as egg management goes, that are one is misunderstood to say the least. And even people I've seen posting on this subject who should know better, uh, at least I would have thought, and apparently don't. I mean, it's kind of. Uh, and then there's another, a third topic that is deals with egg management that nobody ever seems to, you know, well, some of those old timers do, but a lot of younger people, I think they could stand to, I think it'd be usually beneficial to them. Uh, in the spirit of hatching all of the eggs or all the eggs possible. Um, uh, the first one is the this kind of notion that a, a, a bad egg in the clutch won't hurt any of the surrounding eggs. It's like, well, I, I realize that that's a widely held belief, but it is nonetheless bullshit. Uh, it, it absolutely can and sometimes will take the eggs around it down. Uh, mm-hmm. right. There is, just because... Breeder X said, oh, it didn't cause a problem. Here's a picture of this dead egg and this nasty-looking egg, and all these other eggs are fine, and they're all hatching with right next to them. Yeah, sometimes. But I don't I do not do this for sometimes. I don't mm-hmm. I don't go through all the stuff I go through with this because I want an average result. I want a good result. I want an extraordinary result. So that's not, you know, they can and do. It's very difficult to explain all this because – there are literally sometimes there's just too many variables and too much nuance. Since mm-hmm. everybody's incubator is basically different, since virtually nobody has, there's not really a lot of manufactured incubators. So everybody, generally, we've all cobbled together our own incubator thing, and 
and they're all different. The thermal dynamics of airflow and heat and all of that uh, are different in every single incubator. Everybody uses different egg boxes. And when the airplane right. seems to be on board, it was everybody falling in love with the light diffuser panel thing in the last <laughs> several years. Even I, I do it, too, because yeah. honestly, I'm just cheap. And allow, I, you can reuse the vermiculite from year to year. And it's <laughs> the client. Like it's, I, I didn't sell any vermiculite. It's like, why waste that stuff? Or perlite, you know. Uh, they're never touching it. It's like, you know, it's fine. Uh but beyond that, like everybody's egg box, I see people incubating eggs in nine-inch deli cups, which seems crazy to me, but they seem to hatch them. Uh, there are people yeah. that don't use any ventilation whatsoever. Just a completely sealed thing. Some people have a lot of ventilation. Some people have the humidity contained inside the box with the eggs. Some people have the humidity inside the incubator generally, and the egg box is relatively dry. Uh, yeah. The size of the egg box makes a big difference. And out of airflow, all these things contribute to or inhibit mold growth in heat, and it's, so it's really difficult. Uh, so while in the right ideal circumstances, you can sometimes get away with that. In other situations, uh, if the air isn't moving enough, which usually it's not, uh, if there's not a lot of airflow, uh, you get warm, moist temperatures and lack of airflow. That is the absolute pre breeding ground for all sorts of bacteria. And if you've got a blue and green slimy decomposing egg, it's not good. I have lost eggs or just sitting there, you watch them like dominoes, like, oh, now the next one fell, and then the next one fell. And I'm like, I'm going to yank these things out of here. So I don't say this stuff to hear myself talk. Like, I, I've, I've walked the walk. I've done all these experiments years before most people were in the hobby. Like, I already learned this stuff the hard way. And there's just no reason that people need to keep relearning the same lessons. Like, it's, it's not going to be different now. It's, you know, another thing is, like, it is shockingly easy to pull a dead egg out of a clutch. Like, it's mm. a two-second job. I do it every single week. Got to do it after I'm off the phone with you guys. Maybe I'll do it while I'm on the phone with you guys. <laughs> I go through once a week. I go through once every, every five or six, seven days, and I peek around. And then because I have hundreds of eggs in the incubators at one time, eggs are dropping all over the place. It's like, mm. they lay 20 eggs for a reason. Cause not because it's not because there's going to be 20 healthy babies. Because sometimes there isn't. Something goes wrong, it dies, it was infertile. There's a million reasons why. And usually you never have, you never know why. But eggs drop. We all know this. I go through and I pull the bad eggs out. As soon as I know it's there, you know, generally there's different kinds of mold and stuff, but uh, some things are universal. Uh, gray mold, brown mold, and white mold uh, sometimes don't necessarily mean the egg is dead. Like I've had some moldy ass eggs. They're just mm -hmm. gross-looking, fuzzy, you know, kind of have that Sasquatch hair on that. You know, see, I got more Sasquatch into the... <laughs> yeah, that's a good job. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Thought, thought, thought yeah, I saw that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it would be, uh, you know, sometimes, usually if there's any fuzz growing on your egg, the egg is screwed. 99 times out of 100, but not 100%. Mm -hmm. So, when in doubt, write it out. I'm I say, but when you start seeing green and blue spots on the egg, that egg is dead. That is decomposition. Right. Uh, pull that egg out. They get sweaty. They get slimy. And actually, you just push down. If you have a perfectly good egg next to a, just a sweating, disgusting dead egg, don't even touch the good egg. Just push it right, your finger on the bad egg right where it meets the good egg, and it will just peel itself off almost effortless, effortlessly because it's starting to break down. And yank it out of there. And even if you think I'm just some crazy old man and Nick doesn't know anything, and there's clearly some people probably think that, but whatever. Uh, 
another thing you should most people should know and should have learned a long time ago is that uh, what is uh, what happens when you overheat your eggs? They die. You kill them mm-hmm. when they get too hot. They die. They get much above ninety. It kills them in fairly short order. Uh, and when something decomposes, what's a byproduct of decomposition? Heat. Heat. So if you have a bunch yep. of eggs in a small box without much ventilation, and you've got something that's rotting in there, it is discharging unwanted heat into your – you're already riding the line temperature anyway. If you have a little furnace inside there in the form of a decomposing egg, you are discharging unwanted heat into a sealed system, and you can and will overheat the egg box, which will then speed up embryonic development in the good eggs. And even if it doesn't kill them, you'll sometimes get this, where it'll be like the baby's kind of hatched kind of early, and they're super scrawny, spindly, and they don't absorb their yolk, and they're a real pain in the ass to get feeding, and a lot of milk make it. You get that because they kind of got cooked too quick. You mm-hmm. don't want that either. So just yank them out of there. When in doubt, ride it out. Like, if there's any chance, I don't – sometimes I'll pull them off and stick them in the corner of the egg box, but I'll, like, you know, mm-hmm. don't, you know don't, don't throw things away willy-nilly, but if it's clearly dead – and stink in the place. Oh, get rid of it. Because um, it absolutely can cause a problem. And the more, if there's like, God help you, there's a couple of them in a small box. Uh, that segues into another sort of thing about egg management is use bigger egg boxes, people. Uh, <laughs> when these animals are ectothermic, but in the later stages of incubation, they're breathing. There's air exchange through that eggshell. That's why it's soft and leathery and all that. It, it there's air exchange going on, and the respiration rate through that shell goes up over time. And if there's an embryo moving around in there, you are creating friction and thereby heat yet again. So if you have too many eggs in too small of an incubation box with inadequate ventilation, you're trapping heat. And in the later stages, you can asphyxiate the eggs because their oxygen demand, if it's too small and too sealed of a box relative to the amount of eggs you've got, uh, they'll asphyxiate. Uh, you ever notice, like, the first, like, two-thirds or, uh, you know, of incubation, there's, like, nothing, there's no condensation, but that last few weeks, there's all this condensation on the lid? That's mm-hmm. why. you got to go through kind of burp the lids every so often, a little bit more airflow, that's why. And if you, so keep your eggs, uh, give them a bigger box as you, as you can afford to, anyway. I, sometimes with larger species, it's more problematic with larger eggs, things like ball pythons, all the pythons that lay, like, a, blackhead lay a great big giant egg you really don't want to put those in too small of a box I most of the time when I get a bunch of all the pythons I'll split it up into two boxes just to avoid that problem mm-hmm. again learned the hard way when I didn't do it and did have a problem so and those are long incubation species and so it's, it's you know they're going to be in there for a while so you really are prone to having problems if you don't so give them a little bit more room if you can don't overcrowd your eggs uh, also, don't have eggs touching any side of the in, of the tub. If they're in some sort of a plastic tub, box, whatever, uh, don't let any of the eggs touch the sides. What will happen is in the later stages, condensation will build up, and you'll just have, like, a spot where it's touching the side. There's no egg flow, air flow. It's warm, and it's wet with standing mm-hmm. water. The water will just sit there, and that's not good either. So just, you know, a quarter of an inch, just keep them a little bit away from, uh, from the uh, – edges and you can avoid a few problems there uh what i found with that light diffuser everybody seems to use is like uh, paper clips like this like rubber coated paper clips because sometimes mm-hmm. you would get like that clutch i get like 20 of these clutches a year where it's like hey look there's like 12 really nice eggs all in here and there's like another three eggs that are adhered to each other not attached to their other ones and then like two random ones off in the corner 
that may or may not be fertile. It's mm-hmm. like, well, those ones tend to get a little roly-poly, and what a lot of people don't realize is, like, they're not chicken eggs, guys. Uh, bird mm-hmm. eggs, the embryos in, like, bird eggs are not fixed. They're floating around in there, and they're basically, you can rotate that egg, and the embryo is always in the right spot. Snake eggs, the embryo, after the first, within the first 24 hours, will adhere up top and stick itself there and develop on top of its yolk. If that egg gets rolled upside down, the yolk is now on top, the embryo is on the bottom, and it gets smothered by its own yolk and dies. So everybody used to tell you, always mark the top of your eggs with a pencil or a pen, or make it, so, you know, just make like a quarter to the line on top dead center of the egg. So if it does get rolled around as you're moving things around, you can put it back. But using little uh, rubber-coated paper clips, you can get like a million of them for a nickel. Uh, works really good because you kind of can clip them on the edge of that light diffuser panel and just kind of make a backstop. You know, yeah. with those loose eggs, just push them up against the egg mat and put the little paper clip as, as a backstop to stop them from jostling around. Um, works really good. Um, so that's another little helpful tip, I think. Um, I like that and, one. And then there's this whole other, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of stuff. I mean, I mean there's nothing wrong with manipulating a clutch of eggs. You would be shocked. I have dropped entire clutches a couple of times, like dropped it, like on the oh. ground, like four feet onto the concrete. Oh, well, God. it's one of those where you're pulling up. Well, you all have that, we all have that one jungle that's just a total bitch, and then you're taking the eggs, and they're like trying to bite you, and they like <laughs> bite you while you're pulling the eggs, and the eggs just go flying, and it hits the ground, and it's just like concrete. Every one of the damn eggs hatched. Good eggs. Wow. They're remarkably durable in those first that first 24 hours. You can pull that clutch apart, do whatever you want to do, manipulate it, do whatever you need to do, but do it in that first 24 hours before they glue themselves down. And right. you got a lot of leeway. I've done that, that's happened to me twice, over like 25 years and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clutches, where I literally almost got the eggs away, and then I get just latched onto it, and like, ah! and then like your hand, just, your muscle just kind of contracts inside of a re- reflex, and the eggs go flying. Yeah. Never lost an egg because it hit the ground from four feet up. They're fine. Uh <laughs> When you and this is something I know you guys like I'm sure I've talked to because I've you know talked to you guys a million times over the years even before NPR but mm-hmm. I know you guys have noticed this I know I've talked to Eric about this specifically so I know he pays attention for it and that is you kind of can get an overburden of eggs they lay these things in this kind of nice little hemispherical pile hopefully mm-hmm. uh, and they're all adhered nice in a perfect world everything is great <laughs> but sometimes yep. it's not great. And it means no. you have a dead baby in a totally unsuspected way that people don't really realize. Those babies are – what triggers hatching is they are no longer able to get enough oxygen. It's like it, – so it, when it's time to hatch, it's time to hatch or suffocate. That's basically it. And it's time, when it's time to go, it is time to go. Uh, there isn't mm-hmm. a lot of leeway as to when to go. They don't – you know, it's like it, it's go time. Uh, and they are kind of hardwired to – straight up out of the top of that egg and you know, and get up out of there and get a breath of air so as not to die. Sometimes you'll have an egg, eggs that are laid in such a, in, in such a way as where you have eggs on top of other eggs that are completely right. obscured. So you'll have, I mean, going way, way, way back, my first clutch of carpets, the first time I tried to be carpets, it was 1994, I think. And I had four clutches my first year, and all the way 25 freaking years ago, right? And uh, I had a clutch of, and this is so far back that my first 
two years and the very first collection they ever hatched were Diamond Coastal Integrated. That's how long no, that was. No. Oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, two, yeah, I made about 40 of them uh, no, in two clutches from one pair of snakes. Well, I was a newbie hobby. This was a freaking quarter of a century ago. I was like, 20, like 19 years old or whatever. <laughs> 20 years old. I didn't know. I thought, well, they interbreed in the wild, so that must mean the same thing. That must be cool, right? You know, so that right. makes sense to me. I you know, obviously have learned that's totally not how this works, you know, later. But I was a newbie <laughs> hobbyist at one point, too, just like everybody else. And, you know, and... Most people's early collection choices, early breeding choices, usually aren't the best. We are all like that. It's whatever. Mm-hmm. As we learn, we grow, we figure stuff out, and we kind of refine what we're doing and come up with a better plan. So I made dumb choices like, you know, you know myself. Uh, my first question was 20, 21 uh, eggs, 100% fertile, 100% perfect, everything hatched. It was amazing, except for the sex ratio was... Uh, 19 males and two females, but that's oh, that sucks. sucks. <laughs> my, I was happy to hatch my first yeah. pythons, my very first pythons. You know, so I was all thrilled. And then I'm throwing that, yeah, you gotta throw that giant adhered mass of hatched eggs and all the egg goo and stuff sloshing out. You gotta throw that nasty thing out. And as I'm throwing it out, it flips over in the garbage can, and I realize there's actually 23 eggs. There were two other eggs on the bottom of the pile that were completely, you could not even see them. They were completely obscured by all the eggs that were laid on top of them. And they had nowhere to go, and they died, because when they tried to slip the top of their eggshell, they just hit the bottom of the next guy's eggshell. And they just mm-hmm. don't have the, usually don't have the energy to slip through three shells, because the only way for that snake to survive is it would have to slip the top of its shell, the bottom of the next shell, and the top of that same egg. They do it three times, and they just, the odds of them making that are really low. I had seen it. Uh, with yeah. other people's collection and a couple times of my own where you think you have twins and really it's one of the bottom eggs that went all the way through with the egg above it. Usually yeah, yeah, they yeah. just die, though. Yeah. You had it happen? I had it so happen, yeah. when you... When I... Yeah, some lessons you only got to learn once and now you don't have that problem again. It's like you kind of... No, I do not. <laughs> when that... In that very first day when you're pulling those eggs and they're pliable, a little more pliable, and the embryo is a little more... Kind of you have a little wiggle room with what you can do. Go around and just make sure every mark the top when you're marking the top of every egg. To make sure every egg has a clear patch on the top or near the top. Doesn't have to be the top dead center. Just so it's got a clear trajectory and line of sight to get out of the egg. Because if it doesn't, it's probably not going to make it. It's probably not going to get out of the egg. Mm-hmm. So I will rearrange clutches. Usually I can pull the egg off the bottom or one of the eggs off the top or even not even remove an egg. But sometimes you can just kind of like separate a few eggs from each other and kind of bend the clutch around and open it up a little bit, even though you didn't actually remove anything entirely, just to create a, a pathway for all those babies to have a, a chance. Because if you don't, they don't have much chance. Like, uh, And that's just super, it's so easy to do. It is literally, and I probably have to do it like every, one out of every four clutches, I'll have to make some minor adjustment just to be on the safe side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's a two-second two job, and it will lead to better hatch rate. Just like, making that little relief cut when the time comes and, you know, not playing peekaboo or anything, but yeah, the all these things, uh, well, that's what it is. Let's face it. It's the more guy. Nobody is doing that. It is. And I'm here for the carpet morph guy or retake morph guy or ball morph guy. It's a morph thing. I cannot wait. I'm the kid who, it's like, 
Look at me. I'm the kid that snuck in and pulled the wrapping paper off his Christmas present when I was a kid and then tried to tape it back up because I couldn't <laughs> wait until Christmas morning to see what I got. That's what it is. That's right. what it is. It's like just, you know what? It's like, oh, I'll let it, I'll let it get in a little secret, guys. Like, uh, it doesn't make any damn difference. Uh, it's going to be the same thing whether it's two days in the future or that moment. You'll know, but it isn't going mm. to change anything. It isn't going to change the facts. It's not going to change the morph, which is really, let's face it, why people do Why they're doing it. They want to see how many whatever morph they got was. And you're compromising the health of the animals when you do that to that extreme for that reason. This is a stupid reason. It's like, you know what? Wait a day or two, and you'll know what you got anyway, and you won't have a problem. It's it's like, like, my God, you waited 53 days already. What's it going to two more days going to matter? You know? Right. You've waited damn near two months, just like it'll be out on the weekend. Don't worry about it. It's not going to change anything, and it might be healthier for having not done that. Encouraging something, you know, and all vertebrates, the lung, or lung, singular in the case of these guys, is one of the last things to really develop. Um, so anytime you've, you're you encouraging something to come out of the egg before it's ready, you're kind of, you're also encouraging to try to use a lung that maybe needs to cook for another couple of days. It's not going to work. I mean, it's not, Yeah. you know, I mean, both my kids were born a fair bit premature, and that was like a bunch of steroid treatments to hurry their lung development up so they could breathe when they came out because they were clearly going to make their debut on the scene a bit early. These mm. things aren't a whole lot different, you know, and they only have one functional lung. So let's not encourage them to, to uh, hatch with a and a few days makes a difference with this stuff. It's like there's the time when it's time to hatch. It's time to hatch. It's not two days before, and it's not two days after. It's it's that day. Um, and it, it so don't do things that encourage uh, that, especially not for the shallowest of reasons. I want to see what morphs I got. You know, it's like that's just <laughs> like you know. I, I got a funny egg story for you. Like uh, go for it. Is, and I just say this not because. Not because, uh, you know, I, I don't want to encourage, well, I don't maybe encourage it because it wasn't like it did on purpose, but uh, mm. I had a clutch of ivory jungles about, well, 15 years ago because I've been messing with that for 25, 13 years now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I had an egg rupture, which is pretty rare. I've only ever seen it, like, I think that was the only time I've ever had it happen, where an egg literally sprung a leak. On the side, uh, about two thirds of the way up. Yeah, huh. I know. I think it's like you know, it must have just had like a a weak spot in the calcification of the shell or something, and then it just kind of swollen and just popped. Uh, and I've since seen uh, on a couple occasions, uh, it was a couple of Australians, I think, it was once with the children's pride on, the one with something else, where like they had something like that happen, and they just super glued the eggshell back together, and it totally worked. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like crap, like. Well, when I think of that, it was a long time ago, and this was, you know, before everybody was just on the internet, uh, <laughs> so I didn't really have access to that knowledge of that little trick. That would have been great. So I just let it ride. I pulled the egg out, separated it off to the side, and put it like a little deli cup inside the egg box with the rest of its clutch. And because about a third of the way down is where this hole was on the side, like all the albumin leaked out down to the level where the hole was because there's no way not to. You can't really rotate it because right. – the embryo won't be where it needs to be. So it literally just had goo and slime all over it. And this happened about 10 days in. So I had a good 45 days to nurse this egg along with a hole in it. Uh, 
and it just got progressively grosser. Uh, the fruit flies managed to that sweet nectar of albumin apparently was proved to be too much of a an attraction for fruit flies. So it got so bad where I was having to like refloat the embryo like once a week with some distilled water just to see if I could save it. And I would also when I added the water, I would have to go through like a like a like a like a really small I don't know what you call it because I don't you know, I'm not very uh, cultured probably but um, there's little tiny spoons kind of a not like a huge spoon and these I think really small spoons. Like, for like a, a taster spoon? Anyway, right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I would yeah. have to scrape the dead maggots off the top of the egg. Oh, my God. There'd be dead <laughs> maggots, and there's just this fruit storm of fruit flies that just kept feeding off this never-ending slime album that I kept adding water to so it wouldn't dry up. And uh, and it'd be like a layer of, like, dead maggot, fruit fly maggoty things on the top to scrape all that off and add some water and do it over and over and over and over again for 45 flipping days. Long story short, that egg hatched and was fine. Was fine. Insane. It was Holy probably shit. a full. It was, it was half the size of all of its clutchmates. It was basically the size of a twin, even mm. though it was a twin, because it didn't have a whole egg to develop it. It just had this like restricted space uh, from the from the rip of the egg down. But it hatched and lived and ate and did all right. Uh, and that that's if you have a healthy embryo, they're pretty tough. Uh, you don't have to, oh, my God, worry about pulling the dead, dead egg off or you're going to kill something. Like, you can literally, so I just admitted to having a scrape maggots off of living snake embryos <laughs> and dropping <laughs> whole clutches of eggs on concrete. And, right. and they hatch. Like, it just, they're pretty tough. But if you do a few of these things, don't let eggs sit on top of other eggs and screw them completely. That will save you. If you breed any number of anything, you'll save a baby or two a year by paying attention to that. If you make that little small slit just enough for them to find the top of those eggs when the time comes they you know 54 or whatever it is you know i usually will just wait till i see a head poking out but if mm. i get to like 56 days and there's no head poking out i'll just flip the damn thing because it doesn't hurt anything if you take a pair of like cuticle scissors and the best technique i found is like in the later stages there's usually like a crease or wrinkle where there's no fluid in anyway near the top mm. anyway if there isn't just pinch it and you can right. make yeah. one Make the tiniest little snip, which will make a little V-shaped notch. Put the scissors in, close them almost for just like a tiny little opening between the two blades of the scissors. Push up and forward. And what you'll do is you will pull the eggshell off of the embryo up and away, and you'll slide through just the eggshell. It's actually a little membrane. It's like sometimes you'll do that and you'll look, and they'll be like, you didn't even break a blood vessel? Because there's yeah. like this little sack of everything. You can yeah. do that. You sometimes... Like, there shouldn't be a lot of blood or anything like that. You can do it without even nicking a blood vessel. Just pull up and away so that as you're pulling up and sliding the scissors, don't, scissors, don't chop, chop, chop. Just pull up and slide. The sharp pair of scissors, just, that's one little three-quarters of an inch or an inch at the most is all you need. And, yeah, you're not, you're, you're not even, you can't even see the damn thing. You just made just enough. And you will save a few every year if you produce multiple clutches. You will absolutely have... Yeah, and so there you have it. There's uh, be responsible, but and don't be a jerk. It's pretty simple. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Nick's talking about dropping eggs. It reminds me. Remember, uh, was it? I think it was two years ago where I put the clutch in but forgot to plug in the incubator, and they ended up they ended up hatching on day eighty-two. <laughs> so it's like. <laughs> These are taking an awful long time. You know, I can't I mean, figure out why. I know, right? <laughs> 
Hmm. We all Weird. make we've all made <laughs> stupid mistakes with this stuff. Oh, hell yeah. We all have. We all continue oh, God, yeah. to make stupid mistakes. Honestly, <laughs> I don't want everybody like this. I, 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 I talk to a lot of people in the hobby. I get people. I mean, every day there's somebody hitting me up about something or other, and it's and there does seem to be kind of this, especially when people are just getting into it. They tend to look up to people that have been at it a while. And they, I think they have this weird idea that we never fuck anything up. And like, I'm still finding new ways to screw things up. Like, like you're not alone. Like, we all screw this stuff up. We're all just doing the best we can. We make mistakes. We should learn from those mistakes. We can pass that knowledge that we learned from our mistakes on so maybe somebody else doesn't need to make that same mistake. You find mm-hmm. a whole new mistake to make, sure, but don't <laughs> make it the same ones. I mean, it's like that. that's what I'm saying. Like, there's, no, there's no reason to keep repeating uh, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's like we already know. We already have the wheel. It works great. Um, we'll invent something else. <laughs> right. So, Nick, what's yeah. the, let's say for carpet pythons? What's the what do you have? Like a 15 quart size box? Is that like 15 quart tub size box? All right, this gonna make me sound weird and old or stupid or something. I don't really know. <laughs> One of those things, probably. Yeah. Uh, okay. I have no idea what 15 quart tubs mean. Like everybody talks like quart. Like, there's a few things that Nick is so old he doesn't even understand. Everybody's like, six-quart tub. I'm like, I don't know what the hell. What the, how big is a six-quart tub? How big is a – I look at a tub, and I know that's big enough tub for that snake. It's the same reason, like, people are like, oh, I use a, 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 a large rat. Like, what the hell does a large rat mean? What's a – it's like there's no – some things, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, just, I look at a snake, and I go, oh, this snake can eat that size, and I just get that size. I don't know. I don't, I've never – people like – I've been feeding 100 gram rats. I'm like, I have no idea what a 100 gram rat looks like. No, not a clue. I don't, I've never, in 25 years of breeding these things, I have never, I've yet to weigh a rodent. Not once. No, no. I have no idea. Yeah, I've never done that. And either, I have yeah. literally I no idea what a 15 quart tub looks like. I don't have any idea what that is. You have to speak to me in like size and tell me length and width, and I can, you know, that I that I get it. But like, I don't know. Uh, what would you say? Oh, can be like vertically or it can be all different shapes. Fifteen um, quarts is a measure of volume, not of like you know surface area. It's a measure of like you know it's a volume for liquid. So it's like you can be tall and not have enough floor space and be have a huge volume, but not be big enough, or you can be. How okay. important it makes a big difference. So, <laughs> I got it. 17 inches long, 17 uh, inches long by 11 inches wide. Six and a half inches high. To put what in? The Eggs. carpet python clutch. Is that like roughly the size oh, that's of? Huge. Nah, I mean, you can go that big. Unless, well, unless you're Owen and you get like a 40 egg clutch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know, the bad part is I was about to say, that's what my size are, but now I'm just going to be quiet. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see what six quart is. I Hold on. Are, I, 14 I by eight. I use a couple different sizes. Mm-hmm. That's about what I, I – I think mine are 14 by 10 by six high or seven high for the most of them. So, okay, uh, so it's like most, a six quart cup. Yeah. But, again, there's never – there can't be a one size fits all. It's important to note that because – I mean, I tend to – some people have really mm. big snakes, and they that's a whole other topic for a whole other show of don't your snakes are so freaking big and fat. But yeah, it's uh, true. We, like, if you're saying – We've carpet, had that if you're carpet, I'm just going to make a blanket statement, and you guys can challenge me on if you want, but if you have a carpet that lays 40 eggs, you have overfed your carpet. 
I don't like I in all of these I, years, in all of these clutches, in all of these thousand babies, I have never even hit thirty. I had the best I've ever had was twenty nine eggs. The biggest I've ever had. I had a twenty no. I had a twenty seven egg clutch this year of some high end brittle pilots up and I've had a heart attack. There's twenty seven eggs. Like that that's normal for people, for a lot of people. That's that's pushing the limits of healthy size there and hitting me to forty. It's just ridiculous. Like I, so I don't have these ginormous clutches. It's rare for me to. Most of my clutches are between twelve and sixteen. There's always mm. a couple that are pushing the line of twenty, but twenty for me is a big ass clutch. I do not let my females get that big because, well, I want them to live a long time. And frankly, if you let them get really big and they're laying thirty-five and forty-eight clutches, your snake's not going to live to be a ripe old age. It's going to crap the bed and die young. No, true. she did not. Yeah. Uh, she, <laughs> she did not make it very long. They don't. <laughs> yeah. No, and they never do. So these are important yep. things that people don't ever want to hear. Sometimes the community needs a little tough love, and it's mm-hmm. uh, we don't say these things. I don't need a way to be a jerk. I say it because I'm sick of seeing people kill their snakes with kindness. They think they're helping the snake out. This snake needs to eat, and they think they're doing this stuff right, and they're killing these things. They don't realize that. It's like because they constantly conflate this notion of maximum size with a normal adult size. And that's like, mm-hmm. well, they, you know, Burmese pythons can get 15 feet long. Ergo, Burmese pythons need to get 15 feet long. No. Burmese pythons will breed at seven feet long, believe it or not. Uh, but because you can get, you know, anytime you're kind of riding the kind of line with the maximum size for something, you end up with a short-lived animal yeah. every time. Um, right, and it's just so you know. I would rather have a lot more clutches from more pairings, more combinations, more diversity, and fewer eggs from each than have. I don't want forty of anything. That's too many of any one thing or one pairing. That's a lot. Agree. That is a lot. And I think people would. We've all seen people like jungle clutches that were over thirty, and it's like just crazy. Like <laughs> it's just what are you just dealing with this stuff? Or like a old Will Leary. I miss Will Larry. Uh, he's a good guy. He's yeah. a kind of a, I mean, but he had a freaking jungle he named Rebecca. And this was a solid 10 foot. And it was a pure jungle because Will, if nothing else, kept good books. He had good stuff. He knew what everything was, where it came from, who produced it. He had all, he kept good notes. So he's one of the few people I could get a jungle carpet from, even back then, because he knew exactly what he had. Uh, but he had this thing, pure jungle, no question. Named Rebecca, damn thing was 10 feet long. And I said, and he said, 10 feet, I said, bullshit. And he sends me a picture, and this picture is him holding the snake by about, it, it's got about, his hands, he's holding it up over his head, and he's got about 18 inches of snake. His head, maybe 18 inches of its neck, are coming out from top of his hand, and his hand is touching the ceiling because he's kind of tall, and it's an eight foot ceiling. And the snake has got about another foot sitting on the ground. It's like, it's like absolutely, it was absolutely, it might have been 10 and a half feet. It was the biggest, it was insane. Jesus. I go, you know how many eggs Rebecca laid? Zero. And it died at eight years old, never laying a single egg. Uh, because that's what happens. Like, these things, it's just, it's crazy. Don't overfeed this stuff. Don't get it too big. So you don't have giant clutches. You don't have to use DB70s for egg boxes. Because you don't have 40 eggs. It's just, right. you know, it's crazy. Uh, what I see people. And I mean, the carpet people aren't even the worst for it. Well, we all know who the worst people are for it, but we'll, mm. we shall not mention them. 
Like, <laughs> and it's just like they have a whole community of Python keepers that are forever having problems, and they never will acknowledge why if that's the case when it's really clear why. It's like because they're not supposed to weigh more than about 500 grams soaking wet, and that's just the truth. And if you make them weigh 1,500 grams and be five feet long, of course it's going to be a shit show every time. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you got a clutch, maybe you even had some eggs, but you're not going to have a 20 year old animal, are you? You're not going to get a snake late nine clutches and lives 20 years, never, um, because it's just too big and you, it's just the metabolic cost of being that large for your species. Just you check out early. It's, yeah, it's no yeah. different than you know. Look at people, people? in cases of like human gigantism. With yeah, I mean, Andre the Giant died in his yeah. 40s. All those guys died in their 40s. Because when you're yeah. a great big giant human, you don't live very long. Um, you know, that's that's how it is. It's why Chihuahuas are the longest-lived dog breed and Great Danes are the shortest-lived dog breed. Um, because they're Eric's the smallest. It's not forever. a coincidence of the largest. Uh, what? Hobbits for the win. Yeah, I know, right? Like, <laughs> Eric's going to live forever. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. What if Bilbo in the Lord of the Rings is like his 111th birthday Big or something? Z, there like, you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm I'll be long. Uh, I'll be long dead. You, know? you, got, that. you yeah. got You got that. You got that. <laughs> too big, too fat, too warm. Don't live long. You know, keep them a little mm-hmm. smaller, a little cooler, and uh, feed them a little less, and they'll live a lot longer. Um, temperature yeah. affects uh, affects metabolism, affects everything. It's, a, it's not a coincidence that the longest lived mammal in the entire in all ever known is a bowhead whale that lives in the Arctic. A big-ass animal that lives in absolutely, literally frozen water, and it lives 200 years for a mammal. At least they live like 200 years. It's not coincidental that it's not a tropical species, that it's an Arctic species that lives that long. Yeah. Uh, you know, so when we keep these things, we tend to keep stuff way too big, way too fat, way too hot, they lay way too many eggs, and they wonder why they die young. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, these things should all live 20. You should have a, everybody, all these hobbyists, should, we should all have like a bunch of 20 plus year old snakes, and we don't. I mean, most people don't. Uh, I love, I really enjoy when I see people's geriatric snakes because it means they're doing it right. Like you're mm. like 20 years old, clearly you're doing it right. Right, right on. Like, we need to see more old ass snakes. <laughs> we don't see <laughs> yeah, enough of them. In my, in I'm, I'm kind of happy I got teenagers now. I'm like, oh shit, you guys are getting there. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. <laughs> I got, I got a, oh geez, what do I have? I've got a, I got a, I think I've got a 17 year old female olive python that I produced, like, I produced wow. 17 years ago, and her mom was, and her, her parents were like nine years old when she was produced. It took me a long time to figure out how to breed olive pythons, but I mean, yeah, it's, there's a whole that multi generation breeding thing is one of the most rewarding aspects of this hobby Love to it. me personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that in a lot of it, I like to blame everything on the morphs, uh, so I'll continue to do that, but uh, <laughs> has really robbed people of that. And they're, they're losing kind of a – everybody uh, – it's kind of like when Yoda's getting the Empire Strikes Back, giving Luke the, the pep talk about the dark side. It's, it's not more powerful, but it's easier, quicker, more seductive. It's the easy road, you know. <laughs> it's kind of that. Right. It's like morphs are the dark side it, it, in this – Force analogy. I'm a nerd. I can't help it. But uh, in the sense that it is the it is the quick and easy path. I want a weird looking snake 
or a bright color or whatever, and I'll just this one stroke, one step done, the more, and it's just done. I don't want to have to do this for generations that cultivate some phenotype or whatever, and we they tend to gravitate towards that because it's easy, but it diminishes selective breeding in large measure. Selective breeding was where all the action was at, where all the fun was being had, all the cool stuff was being made 25 years ago. Now mm-hmm. it's just, you know, everything has gone by the wayside for the sake of morphs. And really, like, Eric, you've made a lot. You've made more, well, because I won't make mixes, but you've made more carpet morph combos than I have. You've made a ton of this stuff. Yep. And I am going to go out on a limb here and just speculate openly because I'm that confident I'm right. I'm going to guess that you, I'm going to say you probably have derived more personal satisfaction from selectively breeding, I'm going to call them poplin carpets, not IJs, even though I flip up on that one sometimes. Oh, no, this is an easy thing. you probably have from breeding more combo <laughs> carpets, haven't you? Because that's... thousand percent. You know, it, it, it's, it's true. It's like we're missing out. And I'm not saying, yeah. I mean, I have every morph ever. I just had the first hypomelanistic coastal carpets in North America like a week ago. I just, just mm. now shedding. I just had the first one. But, and that's awesome. And it's not like an all or nothing or an either or thing. You can have both. But I, I think you're missing out if you only dabble in morphs and morphs are all that matters. When there's all these other things. So literally, we work with carpet pythons, and you can pretty much create anything you could imagine. If given enough time and patience, you can create any look you want just by force of will and patience. Just keep yeah. plugging away. It's all possible. Mm-hmm. And not many people are doing that. I've really been encouraged lately. I'm starting to see a lot of it. It's weirdly, almost entirely, the popular carpet people seem to have really embraced this again. Woo-hoo! And you see multiple people <laughs> producing some... Hmm. Well, you see yeah. people producing some really stunning stuff. I mean, that was always a species that had so much potential for selective breeding. And it started... It got out the gate a little bit. And then right as it was starting to get somewhere... In the late 90s, early 2000s, the morph thing happened, and then everything got bred to make 88% IJ Jags, and the rest is history. It's like people lost yeah. sight of that. And now you're starting to see a resurgence of interest with that particular form especially, and you're seeing just some absolutely ridiculous stuff, ridiculous mm-hmm. looking. And it's, it's you know, and the, cra- the sad part is the things people are making now that are so awesome with that, with that species or locality, rather, uh, we could have done that 20 years ago. But we were too busy making IJ Jags, yep. frankly, to be bothered with it. And now we're just getting back to it now. And it's like, man, imagine if they'd have kept with it starting 20 years ago. Where would we be now? These damn things would be going in the dark. Um, yeah. So like jungle. It, it's better late than never, though. And I'm, I'm glad to see that. Uh... We lose him? Uh oh. Maybe. No, he's still I there. Mean, we... No, we just can't hear him. I hope he didn't mute himself. You there, Nick? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and did you mute him, mute him because he was I talking about popping carpet? Whoa, 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 God whoa. I have, no, I have no power. Call back. I have no power over every anything. You know, you, yeah. You've made it. You've made it over the years. You've not let me near any buttons because we've learned that when I am, <laughs> the show suffers horribly. Uh, yeah, he'll, he'll call back. We, but we've talked about that where it's like, you know, I, I've said it like a million times of what coastal projects were out there before the Jags showed up. They just dissolved. And now you kind of see the resurgence of those coastal projects as yeah. another thing to do. 
the, the, the pinstripe project, the, the different colors. And then also now you have the localities, like you have the Brisbane and then you have hypos, you know? Yeah. I and mean, that's, again, it's a horrible thing that I don't have either. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. What's going on, man? Jeez. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so true. <laughs> I mean, people talk about, I have high orange uh, pop ones. I have high, you know, black. I have high yellow, high, uh, you know, reduced pattern, stripes, you know, banded. It's just, you know, there's so many directions to go. You know, I don't know. It's just, and it's awesome when you see that. When you see it pop out of the egg and you know it's not a morph and something crazy happens, you're like, what the hell is this? Oh, this dude. is awesome, you know. Dude, Another want, direction just, to go in. Dude, I, I, I want olives this year. Like, I called my shot, dude. Like, I'm going to get the olives this year. Like, I, I'm I'm be excited, excited as shit. When those things hatch, and they're just green snakes, <laughs> like that's all they are. Like I don't, I like I don't have albinos. I don't have. Well, I you're talking olives. Well, you got the uh, the olive python master here. Maybe he can uh, give you some insight. I, I have picked Nick's brain, Kohler's brain. It's like I feel bad asking these guys again and again when clearly it's just me. So it's like <laughs> I think it's just nice you're not got, telling me. Yeah, I think your males might be too big. Right? Oh, you say, don't, Nick? Nick? Don't do right? that again. What? Am I, am I back? You're yeah, back. yeah, yeah. You're back. Yeah. You're back to tell all right. hey, I don't know what. I don't <laughs> know what happened. Damn technology. Uh, yeah, they're one of those olives. It took me a while to figure this out, but uh, they're not really as big as people think they are, and they certainly mm-hmm. shouldn't be as fat as people let them get. And when they get too big and too fat, they don't do anything. Yeah, uh, they're one of those. Well, you know, they've got the the most insane feeding response of anything you've ever probably seen. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so they'll eat. If your olive stops eating, it's either going to lay eggs or it's going to die soon. Like it's literally they don't ever they eat when they're in shed. They just eat. Um, yeah. And that tends to makes it very easy to overfeed them. And also because they're kind of a long but lean, people think they look underweight, so they tend to want to. They think they should be thicker than they are, and so mm-hmm. they tend to over. Feed to, they feed to make the animal look like their expectations, which oftentimes not square with what's healthy. Uh, so basically, just like with all this stuff, big fat males don't make good breeders. Uh, they tend to not do much. Uh, fun fact, uh, Owen, uh, male olive pythons, all my male breeders live in racks because they're that small. They're <laughs> not even... You can, male olive pythons start producing sperm at about four feet long uh, and about 1,200 grams. So little tiny things, hmm. uh, and they can breed. Uh, so they do not need to be huge at all. Uh, and they tend to, we'll put it this way, I've got a, my male albino lives in, you know what a CB110 is? It's basically a CB70 that's six, same yeah. length, same height, but six, it's six inches wider about. It's a yeah. couple, it's like two square feet bigger. Uh, I have 20 of those. Uh, it's great for like, you know, womas and, you know, that kind of medium-sized terrestrial stuff. I keep mm-hmm. my male olives in there, and I, they're not crowded at all because they're literally as big around as a fifty cent piece. Uh, that's it. They, all right. Well, they don't even. I broke them. Yeah, they, <laughs> you might have broke them. And the problem with that is that if you can't, you can't really fix that. Damage metabolically because of body size. You can put them on a diet, but you can't shrink them. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're still capable of breeding. How big are these things? Well, and I have two boys, and <laughs> one is 
shut up. I'm, you shut up. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> the more oh, I explain, you the better your God mute yourself. You oh, shut dear. the hell up. <laughs> I'm just going to mute myself so I don't say something out of line. (laughs) One of them is definitely thinner bodied than the other, um, but they're both about, I want to say, five, six foot, if that, probably probably more than that. Uh, No, that's not, that's not Rick. You just suck at breeding up. They're yeah, fine. right then. <laughs> but the one is definitely no. That's one. The one is six foot. The other one is about eight feet long. Like that one, I broke. That one is honestly he's I would, massive. I don't know. Eight foot. Eight. If it's really only eight foot, here that's a bit bigger than way bigger than it needs to be. But I bet it's not ruined. Uh, yeah, I did like them... ten, twelve feet. I'd be like, no, yeah, no, that's no, correct. They're not but that's that big. It no. might not be that bad. No, now, they're not. Here's another question. Nothing. I'm sure the answer is yes, and if it's not, yeah. I'm going to mock you relentlessly. Okay. But have you let them combat? The answer is yes, because but I have not let okay. them go full bore because I'm a nervous little thing, and you feel free to mock me. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't, no, no, that, that, you're on the right track. The thing with male combat and olives, and I do it all the time, is that we're used to, like, this male combat dynamic in carpet pythons where, like, hey, we're going to have this ritual wrestling match, and I'm going to try to wrap around you and knock you down, and you knock me down, and then somebody wins. Yeah. Uh, all of pythons is a totally different thing. It's like about 10 seconds after they realize there's another mature male in there with them, you'll notice, right, well, like, one will be in there, and then the other one will crawl across the other one's back, and then you'll see that the moment he realizes there's another male, and he'll arch his back up real high to throw him off, and then it's just on, that's when you pull them out. Because the <laughs> next step, 20 seconds later, it's not like, I'll just ritually wrestle with you and you wrestle with me, and then somebody will get a breed this female. It's like, I'm going to kill and eat you, and they will yeah. fight to the death and kill each other. <laughs> it well, is not, it's, it's, it's for keeps with them. They will, be in a confined space, you know, in the wild, the, the subordinate male, the losing male, could probably flee. Uh, in a box, you really not give them that option. So I don't even, if I combat when I do it, I do it all the time. I don't even shut the, mine are in a six foot by two foot. It's kind of a cross between a rack and a cage, and it's like it's a big plastic cage that has no top, and it's on ball bearing slides. It's like those freedom breeder ones, you know? Mm-hmm. Brian Barchek famously had a Burmese, had a twenty foot Burmese five on and a six foot one of those. It was just all snake. Remember that video? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Same mm-hmm. basic concept, only it's, same basic concept, only it's bigger and deeper, and I don't keep a giant berm in it. But it just allows me to like it's on these giant heavy duty ball bearing slides. There's four of them. I keep my olives in the female olives, and I can slide the whole thing up to access the whole top. I will literally just stand there. I won't even turn my back on them because the whole process is. Rarely more than 30 to 40 seconds. It's just enough for them to know there's a rival male in the neighborhood, and then you pull them because it will all hell will break loose very soon. It can go real sideways. It's really difficult to separate two very angry uh, adult olives who are just bent on yeah, I really don't want to do that or eating each other. Yeah. Well, I've seen. I've had three friends that were not as lucky, where a male killed another male, and one where a male killed and consumed. The other male. So, no. Uh, this no. happens. Yeah. And then, but you know, when a big snake eats another big snake, it doesn't go well for any. You ever seen a snake eat another snake of the same size, roughly? Yes. They both always I've had die. A, the one that I've had a female cow king. The one that dizzy, did it puke yeah. up and die? Yep. Female cow yeah, king the ate the male, puked it up, eating, died. Yep. Yep. 
I had a I, I, when I hatch, a lot of like a lot of us will hatch like a clutch of eggs, and we'll just kind of keep them all together until the first shed or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and usually that works great with carpets and most things, but it doesn't work great with spotted python sometimes apparently because I had like a total Hannibal Lecter spotted python clutch. So I clutched <laughs> oh, like grand spotted like ten years ago, and oh, I go God. in there and there's a dead one, but it's all like it's all crinkled up, and I'm like, what the hell? Why is it? It wasn't like just dead. It was like all crinkled up like an accordion. I'm like, what? That's weird. So I didn't think anything of it. And then a couple days later, there's another one that's dead and crinkled up. Like, what the hell is going on? Still, clueless me, didn't figure it out. Then I go in there, couple check on a couple days later. And one of them, the offending snake, had literally consumed another one of its clutchmates for the third time. And then proceeded to regurgitate it into the familiar crinkled accordion snake. And then it died. So I lost four out of a clutch of ten because one just kept eat, habitually eating everybody and then spitting them out because they can't keep it down. So it died. <laughs> so now I separate the Anteresia babies because apparently they don't eat each other sometimes. So we, mm. Lessons were learned. Uh, lessons were learned yeah. that day. Uh, so you don't, don't do that with species that are okay. somewhat cannibalistic. Uh, well, I keep like just to be safe. I, you know, I've never had a problem with blackheads, but I don't know they hurt me eggs. So I Keep the blackheads apart. Once they hatch, I put them in our little tubs. I don't keep them communally because that seems like, you know, yeah. My, what could go wrong with that, right? You know. <laughs> yeah. Speaking uh, of so Aphrodite, Australia again. Um. Oh, yeah. October. Uh, we're going in October. Right. End of are October. You, are you yeah. going, Owen? I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're going. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Dude, I couldn't. It's your first time, isn't more, it? It is, but I couldn't stand one more year of sitting here across from him every Tuesday and being like, "Well, Owen, if you had ever been to Australia, you'd know that I'm like, oh my fucking Nick, god, he just like, no, doesn't understand. <laughs> Nick, he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. He, he'll see. It's he'll so, see. It's so. It's like the funnest time you're ever going to have. It'll be like right. gross and itchy and uncomfortable at times, but <laughs> you know, your first python you find in a while, you're going to be Dude. like, it's going to be like this amazing <laughs> you're going to be blown away. Yeah. Um, There's nothing um, better. Um, so much. I'm going to be freaking out going until that happens. You're going to go go Northern Territory, so you're going to go like fly to Darwin and go through Kakadu? Kakadu. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, a little bit uh, down south, um, uh, and then I forget where. Where else are we going, Owen? I forget. You think, I, I mean, like I map. am the worst person. Yeah, I, I was the. Yeah. I know we're, we're doing the Darwin, and then we're just kind of going around the top half of the. We're not going down like to where we would run into, uh, you know, uh, bread lie or anything like that. No. Now nah, you got to get pretty far south for that, but they. Uh, you just go on a cactus, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, if you head south of Darwin, there's this road called the Dorant Road, and we spent a number of nights, uh, me and Justin and Rico and everybody, and, and down on that road, just, just south of Darwin, and, you know, a long way, but, I mean, it, we, we found a ton of stuff. A ton of stuff. Found a Darwin carpet in Darwin. Like, oh, look, their very first night. <laughs> oh, look, there's a Darwin carpet. Well, that was easy. They yeah. your steps on it. It's like, what? was yeah, literally, that's... like... Looking, That's what I'm hoping for. Looking at this possum, this possum, and like, oh, there's a possum. 
And then the possum was stalking. What's that possum looking at? Oh, the possum's looking at this giant agamid lizard sitting on the ground. And then I looked at the lizard, and the carpet was on the ground, also stalking the same lizard. Like, all <laughs> like, 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 wow. This was, like, in the first, like, half hour of being there. I'm like, holy crap. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Not that Jordan Road. We found out. All the python and a black-headed python within 40 minutes of each other. On the, they're going the same direction. I don't know. It was like just... anything first because they're <laughs> worried I'm no, going to jump no. in and get myself killed. So, you know. Yeah. No, no. They're going to make you wear like a pair of mittens or something. Like you <laughs> duck, <laughs> duct tape oven mitts to my hands. Like, yeah. you're, not, you're not allowed to touch anything until a grown-up gets here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hold my hand, Owen. Come on. Yeah. You'll, you'll find yourself compelled to do dumb things, though. Like, you get so caught up in the kind of like this... Uh, you're so excited that you kind of will make bad choices sometimes. I've done just really dumb things in the heat of the moment, like, and then everybody else is like, what are you doing? Is it a, oh, oh, you got to go to Fog Dam because you're going to, you go past, yeah. you go oh, yeah. or you're ready to attack it. Yep. 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 Like, when you go, I've been there like three times, and what you'll find is if like it's a full moon, it's a bust. Like, as long as there's not much moonlight, <laughs> you can't. You'll literally be there for 40 minutes, and you'll be sick of finding water pythons. There's so many water pythons. That's um, cool. They're just, we plan the trip around the moon cycle, so it'll be new moon. It'll be new moon. Uh, yeah. Well, one thing that, you know, you, you go there, you're really looking for these water pythons, and you're, you're going to find them. And, but what you're not really looking for, but you're also likely to find that you forget about, is crocodiles. <laughs> uh, that's what I forgot about, kind of. Well, like, Running uh, down to the edge. Well, it's like, well when <laughs> yeah. you go there, there's like, it's like a, it's just like a dirt dam, basically made of dirt with like a swamp on both sides, and there's crocodiles on both sides, and they will haul out onto the, out of the water onto the road, sometimes blocking the road. Well, uh, there was Jesus. a little water python, maybe three feet, the first one we saw it, and I'm like, it's right at the edge of the grass, right at the edge of the pavement, and it goes shooting down like they tend to do, down towards the water to what it perceives as safety from me. And right. I just caught up in the moment and just start hauling ass down towards the water's edge with the bridges. And I catch the water python, and I've got my little trophy, and I'm so happy to hold it up. And everybody else is up on the road above looking down at me. And they're like, "Why?" I'm thinking, why is everybody screaming and waving their arms at me? What are they saying? Like, oh, because the whole water behind me is just chock a block full of crocodiles. And I'm literally like, my left heel is in the water. Like, oh, I'm my God. The edge of, I'm at the water's edge. With my back, tur- with my back completely Kingdom. turned to the water because oh, I'm in this water python like a damn idiot, <laughs> and everything. Again, I'm after I finally clicked to me what they were trying to tell me because it took like it's probably maybe 15 seconds, but it seemed like eternity. I was right. like, you turn around, you take your flashlight, and you just shine out in the water and just endless eye shine across. Oh and God! Eye shine back. And I was like, oh my God! Like I even. Dumbest American tourist ever. I'm like eaten by a crocodile, drug off to my death at Fog Dam. It's like, uh, uh, so yeah, don't do that. That's bad. Uh, 
Eric's gonna Don't Eric's go gonna have one of those leashes. <laughs> I'm gonna wear one of those like what? kid harnesses, and Eric's just gonna have like a leash, and just so he can <laughs> keep me from running around. Well, like, you like a little, you like little kids where it looks like a, it looks like a backpack, but it looks like a monkey's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, an adult size one of those. <laughs> where you be like, no, yeah. no, yeah. If also you see like little dogs on <laughs> those harnesses, where it's like a like kind of reel where you can reel them in, kind of. Yeah, exactly. It's like little hearts, like one of those. Just, it's like, bring him back. Get back here. No, back bring here. him in. Yeah, no. Oh, oh, line and fall. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. If we were at the bottom. We were in Westchester on a different trip, and my buddy Mark Goyer went with us and uh, a couple of those. And we're in the bottom. We're, like, kind of – we're in, like, the bottom of a – we're in a Karenjini National Park in one of these deep rainforest line gorges out in the desert, but it's, like, wet forest inside, and there's all – there's Pilbara hollow pythons in these. Um, we're looking for him, and it's like midnight. You know, it's totally dark. We scampered down, hiked down in the dark. Totally sketchy, anyway. But uh, I told Mark, "Cause like, uh, if you don't know what it is, with absolute certainty, don't freaking touch anything." <laughs> You're down there looking for snakes, and we're all kind of far apart. And all of a sudden, Mark just starts screaming, "Snake, snake!" I think it's an olive. I'm like, "Don't touch it, Mulga," <laughs> because they're the same color. Mobsters dropped off at the hospital. They'll just roll in, open the door, <laughs> throw you in the line, me, heave me out of the line as I roll hey. into the parking spot, and then they'll be off again. Hey, well, so you know, why should your why should why should your misfortune ruin everybody else's purpose? I, I, I mean, like, I'm not mad about it. It's just like I understand, but dude, dude we gotta you find an Owen Pelly Python. You're fucked. You know what I mean? Oh, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But good yeah. luck with that. That's about the hardest thing you're ever going to look for. But you kind of got to try, right? You, you got yeah. to give it a shot. Yep. Sometimes uh, people luck out, not usually, but it's not impossible. But it's, it's definitely – there was one of those where their lifestyle is just such that you, they just don't ever have to expose themselves to being preyed upon. So they're just never right. out because they never need to be or rarely. They, right. When you go there – and you're scampering around. Those, and you got to go to like Ubir and Norlandji Rock and stuff. And both of them are have populations of that python there. But you'll see, aside from the natural beauty of these rock formations and escarpment and all that, you'll see these that crazy old Aboriginal artwork, rock art and stuff. There's one at a, at a beer where it's kind of this big rock overhang. And if you look up, you'll see a thylacine painted on the bottom of this rock overhang. Oh, wow. And cool. thylacines that they Thylacines have been extinct in Northern Territory since the last ice age. That's how long that painting has been there. It's like, they lived on, clung on only in Tasmania. They've been extinct for a very long time on the mainland, especially that far north. So there's this painting. It's pretty obviously what it is, too. Uh, So there's a lot of cool things there to see. But you'll see these kind of the, these weathered, this weathered rock escarpment has all these like little caves in it. And crevices. Well, a lot of those caves and crevices and cracks go back a long way into the rock itself, and there'll mm-hmm. be little like, 
and they'll fill them in little like small chambers, not big enough for even a human to get into necessarily, but big enough for a python to get into. And some of those, mm-hmm. when, they, when you get the monsoon will come in, you'll get water in those, and there'll be pools of water on the rock, and there'll be pools of water inside the rock that'll so trickle back into those. And in those dark recesses where there's standing water from the wet, it'll stay there for a good long time. It's sitting on a rock, and the evaporative rate's going to be very slow. So you've got a snake that literally can stay in a very thermostable environment without exposing itself to wild temperature fluctuations or being eaten by anything. It's got something to drink, somewhere to hide. It's got everything it needs except food. And wouldn't you know it, the reason why they get so big, there's rock wallabies all over the place. You cannot go around that escarpment without stepping in rock wallaby shit. It's literally <laughs> everywhere. Every flat surface has got rock wallaby shit, wallaby shit on it. And they're clearly got to be eating these big snakes. They're clearly eating these things. All they got to do is sit by the with their head by the edge of that and wait for one to get too close, shoot out, snatch it, and be back inside the relative safety of inside that little crack, crevice or cave before you ever even knew they came out. They didn't have to right. get three-quarters of their body in there and get something to eat. And if you got that kind of a, like, dream habitat for a python, it's no wonder nobody finds them. Because right. they're literally just fully out and about. It's like they just probably don't have to do that very often. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're tough, but you gotta try it. And it even if you, you don't find to. one, I mean, because just to see the habitat and it's it's a it's a is a pretty awesome place to visit. So that, yeah, you guys love you guys love fun. I can't believe Owen's actually going this time. Oh, I know. You know, <laughs> the massive amounts of peer pressure. Plus, you know, I finally actually had spending money. So <laughs> you know, stop buying snakes. That's you know, my you've problem. Done, so you're. This is your second trip, Eric, right? Yeah, yeah. It, I, I'm your pretty first much, trip, you yeah. were basically like uh, the Sunshine Coast up to about Cairns? Yeah, we were. Trip? Yeah, we went out. Uh, the farthest wet, out west we went was to Chilago, and we were down in Brisbane. So basically, Cairns, Brisbane, right. Chilago. That's okay. kind of where we you went. Didn't go any for, you didn't go, up the, didn't go up the Cape anywhere? No, yeah, no, we're no, thinking about uh, doing York another. A... Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's the trip I should have went on with you guys. Well, the, next, mm-hmm. the, the two things you got to do is uh, you got to do the Cape and you got to do Western Australia. Um, Western Australia has less Python diversity, but there's a lot of other things to do there that are awesome too. Like, mm-hmm. like there's a place in Western Australia and like Exmouth, you can literally go snorkel with whale sharks if you're there at the right time of year. How awesome is that? Oh, like, that, that is so country. cool. That is the coolest thing I can ever even imagine doing. I've totally got to do that. We should go do that. We'll do the whale shark tour thing. Yeah. Me and Rob find, have pretty much. Species, but you'll find, you'll find some. What? Me, we, uh, we had such a good time the last trip that we, we said as we, as we were getting on the plane to come back home, and we kind of made a pact that we would go to Australia every year because uh, there's so much to see, you know. And and I keep hearing you, yeah. you, you, Nick, are in my head going, you got to do this when you're young and the time goes by quick and you just got to do it and stop bitching about it and just make shit happen. <laughs> and I'm like, it's you true. know, he's right. You God know. damn it, he's right. <laughs> You could, we could all be dead tomorrow. We don't know. Seize the day. Right. Carpe diem. Get out there and do it. Right. And, you know, it's like, what are you waiting for? Life's going to pass you by. Don't put it off. Get out there and 
make awesome memories and do awesome shit. That's what life's about. Yeah. Next time you go, I want to go. You didn't. You sprung it on me too soon this time. It was a lot of time. With as many things as I've got, it, it takes a lot of pre-planning for me to, like, be gone for a couple of weeks. Uh, well, 2020 I mean, I is Western Australia. Rodent colony. Well, I want to yeah, go back to doing. Western Australia. So I've been to Northern Territory twice. Mm, uh, I've been to Cairns a couple times. I've been up all the way up to the tip of the Cape. That was awesome. But Western Australia was, it was a lot of fun. And there's, my advice is don't limit yourself only to herping. There are other awesome, amazing things of interest. You can, because you're basically cruising around herping all night. But you got to do mm-hmm. something during the day because you don't actually sleep. You just are basically like always awake. Sleeping a little tiny naps periodically. Because yeah. you're to find monitor lizards. Well, they monitor lizards a day, and your blue tongue skinks and stuff, and shingle dots and dusk, really. It's like, it was pretty much geckos and pythons at night. I mean, it's like, there's always something else. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But if you get up to, get all the way up to Exmouth, uh, and there's a place, the Ningaloo Reef, it's this amazing reef that most Americans have never heard of on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. In better condition than a lot of the Great Barrier Reefs. It's largely pristine. There's not nearly as many tourists spend on when you're there. It's amazing. Uh, sea turtles. I mean, it's just there's so much. So that's the place in Texas where you can literally, uh, you can do the whale shark thing. And it's this tiny oh, okay. little outback town where, like, there's just emus walking down the main street in town. And just emus walking down. <laughs> that's so <laughs> cool. As if to say, welcome to Western Australia. Uh, the right. welcoming committee. And they're just like habituated. Let's walk up and eat out of your hand. These wild emus are just eating. It's just, it's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. Do that. Uh, and you can find all manner of skinks and all kinds of cool stuff there. And mo- so many monitors and all that. If you go, uh, it's, you know, several more hours further north, you get up to 80 Mile Beach and you find the, that's where you find the little tiny black and white black headed pythons. And they're not hard to find. There's only one road, really. And so the whole road will take you up through Port, so it takes you up through Port along coast through Port Headland and on up, and uh, you know, you'll pass by all these famous places like Sandfire Roadhouse and all this kind of stuff, and you'll find a blackhead. You'll find a little black and white blackhead. We found a couple. It's really not hard. They're they're not they're around. Uh, That's awesome. But when you get up there, there's actually a place where you can find a woma and a blackhead in the same place. There's like no a, shit. a little tiny place really? where they converge. So if you're up in that area, it is it is possible. We didn't. But it is possible to find a Woma there, too, which would be awesome. Uh, you know, when you go down, uh, go to, like, the Pinnacles National Park. Uh, it's north oh. of Perth. If you're up there, you're on your way back to Perth. It's, that looks like Star there's Wars. There's a lot of, like, sand <laughs> monitors and awesome yeah. it's, It looks like another freaking planet. It's so yeah. cool. Uh, then go down to, like, Shark, go to Shark Bay. Uh, mm-hmm. Shark Bay is awesome. We found some amazing Stimson's pythons and stuff. We had terrible weather too, uh, but uh, still found some stuff. But there's a spot there where uh, you know what stromatolites are. Yeah. No. Uh, it's the it's the oldest form of life on Earth. The oldest, literally, it's like if you want to know what the first form of life was, right out of the primordial soup, it's pretty much these things. It's literally like. <laughs> They're like a weird microbe that lives in a colony that makes it look at these bowling ball-shaped rocks in super shallow, warm water. But really, it's like coral, and just the only part that's actually alive is the outer layer of slime, and it builds up over (laughs) millennia. It's like literally, and they only exist like two places in the world, and one of them is the Shark Bay, and you can just go walk up and check it out a little boardwalk. You have to spend a week there looking at it, but it's cool. 
take 20 minutes to walk around and ponder the origin yeah. of life on Earth real quick when you're there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, West Australia, it's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, it's, it doesn't lend itself to healthy eating uh, because yeah, it's like yeah. the only real industry <laughs> is like the mining industry. So really, you're basically the only place you can eat are like roadhouses and truck stops, basically. So you pretty much subsist the entire time on whatever Australian truckers eat. Turns oh, out, boy. not a lot of healthy choices. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting 17 pounds in 13 days. Holy 17, shit. I'm not kidding. 17 pounds, which shouldn't even be biologically possible, like, to lose <laughs> that much. It's like, I don't know. That's probably just me all this, like, salty crap, and it's just water, and you're just pissing out, like, when you get back. And nope, nine pounds of it was genuine fat. Nine oh, pounds. Like, because like, within, like, ten days, I had lost about half of it, but half of it was real. Like, I couldn't believe it. Wow. Like, it's just crazy. So, yeah, plan your food stops. Uh, you'll occasionally pass by, like, a, this little town called Tom Price. It's not too bad. Exmouth is a proper town. It's small, but you can go to an actual grocery store and, like, stock up on things that aren't going to kill you. Uh, gotcha. Because eating, like, meat pies and sausage rolls from tiny roadhouse <laughs> truck stops uh, <laughs> is not. <laughs> hey, uh, you, you know, the, the sausage rolls are where it's at. Did you find any places in your travels where, like, because every convenience store always has meat pies and, like, sausage rolls, but usually they're, like, the, the frozen ones. They all just reheat and all the case. Mm-hmm. You ever find any place like made their own fresh ones like on site? I think the one spot like, we went to. Other type of... Yeah, I think the one spot we went to oh. was the frozen, and then we went to another one, and it was it was more homemade. But I, it was not anything like what I pictured. It, but it's like <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, "That's a meat pie. I gotta have it." Nick's talked about this for years. Oh, you I gotta, gotta have it. Pie. Amazing. I'll take the one with bacon. It's funny, like, if you go to, like, Sydney, you can get, like, you know, they have, like, gourmet pie shops. You can get, like, a tandoori chicken pie, you know. You can get all kinds of the – but uh, the basic ones are probably the best, I think. But the sausage yeah. rolls, the frozen ones aren't bad. But, like, you'll occasionally find a place that makes their own, like, in-house sausage rolls, and they're totally different, and then they're, like, shorter and way thicker and girthier, where it's, like, just a giant mound of meat with just a little bit of a filo dough burning on the edges. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like, yeah. You can just you can literally just feel your arteries clogging up as you eat it, but it's like just uh, ecstasy. It's the greatest uh, thing you've like. It's the best <laughs> thing I've ever eaten. It's killing me, and I don't care because it's right. that freaking good. You're in Western Australia. There's not a lot of places that have food. It's not like it's a little tiny town that basically the whole economy is about that reef being there. And, right. uh, there's like a you know, gas station convenience store that makes the most amazing. Homemade sausage rolls. Like, it's, it's worth going to Exmouth for the sausage. you got to have the sausage rolls. When we were in uh, Atherton. Home, you got to eat it. It's great. <laughs> when we were in Atherton, there was this, like, it was like a local, just like a local, like what we would, it wasn't like a deli, but like what we would consider like a, you know, a, like a sandwich shop, a deli. And they had the best fried chicken I've ever eaten in my entire life. And I was like, how the hell is the best chicken, fried chicken, in this little shack in Australia? Oh, so good. Oh, my it's God. The best stuff's always in a little tiny shack hole in the wall. In the middle of oh, nowhere. Oh, oh dude, it was so good. It's always, nothing else to do but oh make chicken. Like, <laughs> part, of like, part of, like, 
your perception of whether food in these sorts of scenarios is good is the kind of context. If you've been out trekking around in the hot sun all day looking for modded lizards or whatever, and then you pull up into something, you haven't seen civilization in hours, you pull into uh-huh. like Aussie Roadhouse, and they make you this ginormous Aussie-style burger with literally everything you can imagine on it. Uh-huh. It's the greatest thing you've ever eaten in your life. And it is genuinely good, <laughs> but you're also starving. So true. Which makes it even better. And there's this other phenomenon. I mean, I, I was a chef for like a decade, so I have a culinary background and previous one of my many careers before I became a Python breeder guy. But uh, I don't know. This is it's science. I don't understand it, but it's science. It can't be disputed. Food tastes better if you eat it outside. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is. If you're eating, if you're eating it outside, tastes a little bit. You, you, it seems like it tastes better. And then okay. an extension of that is if you're also barefoot. If you're outside <laughs> and barefoot, your food will taste like 30% better just because you're outside and barefoot. Think all about right. it. You go to the you're younger, you go to like the lake or whatever, and then you play in the water all day. And you come back up, have the sun. Go up a little picnic table with your parents, give you like some Ritz crackers, and you eat it. That's the best damn cracker you ever had in your life, isn't it? Just a Ritz cracker, same as every Ritz cracker, but you're like, God damn, that was a good cracker. And you're outside in the sun, barefoot, and it's awesome. So part of it's that. So that's my uh, eating, eating tips for everybody. Take your shoes off, eat outside, everything will taste better. It's science. All right. <laughs> Eric's going to take a picture of me eating a meat pie barefoot outside in Australia. So, oh, you know, nice. Trifecta. <laughs> if you don't yeah. like a meat pie, if you don't like the meat pies, we can't be friends anymore. Like, I got you. The quintessential Aussie fast food. Because it's like literally like meat and gravy stuffed into puff pastry. It's like, if you don't like that, there's something wrong what with you. What is wrong with you? It's, yeah, no, that sounds great. It's everything that's good. It's everything that's good in life. It's like this oh. <laughs> steak and potatoes inside of a puff pastry and it's like, ah, oh, it's just because they're usually already sitting there hot, it's like instant satisfaction. You're starving. Oh, God, God. So we have to just, uh, yeah. so good. I'm we... like totally craving meat pies now. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. so good. There's a, there's a place in Seattle that is a there's a meat pie place in Seattle in a town called Burien, which is the south of Seattle, down by the airport. And it's run by a, an Aussie guy that moved over to the States. And it's like real, authentic Aussie meat pies made by a real Australian in the greater Seattle area. It's 300 miles away from me. 300 miles drive. I've and you drive there? <laughs> Not just for that, but if I'm in that area, if I'm in the area, I will go. Like, if I got to go pick up an international shipment, I'm kind of bummed, like, you should meet up my buddy Simon or something. He's Australian. He lives over there. He'll meet me down there at the pie shop. We'll get some pies. He sells them frozen. I'll bring some frozen ones back. <laughs> nice. Rations. So get the ration until you get to the next time oh, you man. get down there. It is. Yeah. That's a, it's pure gold. Barbecue, the mean barbecue chicken ones. So good. Oh, yeah, man. you got to – when you're traveling abroad, you got to embrace the local flavor. And that's just <laughs> – and you gotta get the, the Aussie burger, and it'll be the craziest burger you've ever. It's like this crazy mad scientist hamburger project. Like I don't know what the hell. Like it's literally like every single thing in the kitchen is now on this burger. It'd be like a patty or two, and ham, and bacon, and you know all the vegetables, all the normal vegetables. But then also like a piece of pineapple and a fried egg and. Beetroot, like, you know, beetroot, beetroot, <laughs> and beet. Right, yeah. 
Colonial here because their boys were big on their beef. But so you have like a giant burger that you literally can't even put your mouth around because it's literally eight inches tall. It's the biggest burger you've ever seen in your fucking life. You gotta smash it to even have a chance of getting a bite out of it. It's so big, I and mean, it's like red beet juice running down your arm. Oh you don't understand. I don't get the beet thing. The beet. They don't seem to add anything to it, but they don't take anything away. But you just got to go with it and get it with the beef, with all the work. It's, it's a thing to behold. And that's just, it's not just like one place that does that. It's every place does that. That's just the way Australian burgers are. They're yeah. huge with literally everything in the kitchen on them. And it's amazing. I watched Stephen Katz eat not one but two. I'm like, you're a pig, dude. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> how could you possibly? He literally ate one. With chips, you know, i.e. fries, and a drink, right. and then this enormous, and we're all just something, let me live, I want to get another, he ate another one, like, my God. Oh, my God. Freaking, <laughs> have a double bypass before this trip's over. I couldn't believe anybody could eat two of those. I'm a big dude, and I eat a lot. Like, right. I, I'm no stranger to let me, but I was just like, where did you put that other one? <laughs> you got it, you got to get the burger, you got it in the meat pie. You gotta have a sausage roll, and you gotta put ketchup on the sausage roll, which I never thought I'd say that because I'm kind of anti-ketchup because it's kind of just I'm not I'm not a big fan of ketchup. I think it's like something, but the Australians will tell you, oh, you gotta have ketchup, or they'll refer right. to tomato sauce usually. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I was a skeptic on that bullshit. I'm not putting ruining that putting ketchup on it. No, nope, it works. You gotta do it. You gotta wait in the room. So it's like you gotta bust out that ketchup packet, man. That's right. Know, it works. It totally works. It, 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 you got to just do it. It's so yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. Oh, and the other thing, Owen, you have to try since you're not going to be familiar with it. No. Is, uh, Australians, every convenience store in all of Australia, they have a, always have a bunch of iced coffee drinks, which really, yeah. the coffee oh. drink is fairly mild. It's basically like, it's always like a, it's like a, co- a lightly coffee-flavored chocolate milk, basically, and there's multiple <laughs> brands. Uh, okay. Don't waste your time with any of the others. There's a band, a brand called Ice Break. It's in a weirdly shaped brown jug thing. It's yes. amazing. I don't even want yeah, to know okay. what the carb count on that is, but get, yeah, you know, see, you know what I'm talking about. The Ice Break is uh-huh. so good. <laughs> you're gonna live off every chance you get. You're gonna be like getting like meat pie, sausage rolls, and Ice Break at every Ice time, Break, dude. and that's it. That's, and that's, that's the supply. <laughs> what I did, did was. And that's every how you night, seventeen pounds of weight gain in two weeks. <laughs> every night, when we'd be coming back from Herpin, we would be headed back to uh, where we were staying, and we would stop off, right? And the one night, because I kept promising Chris that we would get him like chocolate or ice cream, or I felt like he was a little kid, like, "Calm down, Chris. We'll get you some ice cream." Um, so when we, when we. Uh, when we got to the spot, um, I would buy that every morning. So in the morning, I could have coffee because I got to have coffee in the morning. So I was like, all right, well, let me try this. Because, you know, I think Nick had told me about it before. And I, oh, mm. dude, oh, oh, my God. So good. <laughs> so good. Once you have one, you're like, you're craving it. It's like, oh, I got I to gotta have more of that. Like, it's like, it's its own little weird Australian thing. I don't know. But it's, it's amazing. I don't know. It's like, I, I, I find the food to be pretty good in Australia. Yeah. Uh, I would wake up every morning. If you're in a big town, you can just... I would go out in the yard and there would be all these little skinks running around and there's cockatoos on the, uh, you know, the, the electric 
lines and shit, and I'm just sipping that coffee drink and loving life, man. It was good. It was good. So. Yeah. I'll give a shot. I really want to go back. I kind of missed it. It's been a little while since I've been. I have to tag along for the Western Australia leg. Yeah, man. Got to talk Chris into going again. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. What? We can yeah, probably yeah, try to. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll lie and say that I finally I see the light and I'm looking for Sasquatch. Then he'll come. <laughs> you know. We just yeah, lie to him. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so. There's cool. a lot of. I haven't been there once. I know there's some cool spots I went to. You guys would love like Python Pool. It was pretty. That was a pretty amazing uh, day there. Oh, like a wow. natural water hole. It's like this built-in, like, weird amphitheater of rocks. It's out in the desert, in the middle of freaking nowhere, a million miles from anything. There's this permanent water hole. It's cool, clear water, and olive pythons, Tilvara olive pythons. We found one right at the water's edge the first night. But in the day, it's a million degrees. You just go swim in this perfect pool, picturesque, hike up the top of this mountain, and just amazing views. It was like you could see the entire Milky Way galaxy because there's no ambient light from any because they're so far from civilization. Oh, it's one of those like really special. It's one of those just really amazing places where you just wanted to like stand there and stare and just kind of take it all in. It was like this is what it's all about right here. Right. And That's when you fight. feel like so. you actually <laughs> are a monkey on a rock say, yeah. through space. Oh. <laughs> is this, this is when you have the, I mean, I'm just an upright what? monkey on a little rock. Yeah. I took a, <laughs> well, through space. I took yeah. a picture. I had Mark take a picture of me. And I took a picture of myself. of just kind of from the, the top of the little, not a mountain, but this kind of the, the top of the ridge that overlooks the pool and kind of out. And you just kind of look out and you, you don't see any signs that human beings even exist. You don't see roads. No. Planes, vapor trails in the sky, no power lines. It's like you're thinking like this looks exactly like it looks for like millions of years. Like nothing has changed. It looks like there's it, it, you, there's being in the United States, you don't really find a lot of places that are like that in the lower mm-hmm. 48, where there's like just completely and utterly unspoiled, right, and completely wild, untamed places. And so it's really it's just an awesome thing to to go see and do. And you can catch pythons there. Yeah, so, it's an added bonus. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, uh, my friend Adam Elliott, he's an Australian guy. Oh my God, like he's like, yeah, it never works out. He goes, we're never going to find one here. So, any kind of places like are called Python Pool or Snake Creek or whatever, you never find anything. Like, right. Never. But sure enough, Python Pool, and there it was. Like, <laughs> like okay, well, that was <laughs> the first five minutes, too. Brought the parking what did lot, you, went what did you find the there? Day, got in the parking lot, waiting for it to get dark. A Pilbara olive python, one of the hardest things to find in Australia. Oh, wow. Jesus. A bear and I. Yeah, life is bear and I. Was uh, that the one you went and, to uh, with Ryan Young? Did he go with you on that yeah. trip? Okay. Yeah, I me remember Ryan that picture. and my friend uh, Adam, Adam and Simon Elliott. Uh, nice. It was, uh, but like, we're literally like, we're in the parking lot waiting for it to get dark, and then we started walking on a little trail to go back to where the water, and like, literally, it was just sitting at the edge of the water. On, the, on this little beachy area. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> and there it is. Like, wow, it was, it was almost anticlimactic. It was so easy. <laughs> wow. That's cool. Yeah, um, no, we'll hit that again. That was that was awesome. I still, I weirdly didn't find a pygmy python. It's like the easiest python to find. So, 
I need to find an Invercada that's not been smashed by a car. So. Yeah, that yeah would that's be nice. You know. That's got, on the list. <clears throat> I got, I got some. I got some unfinished business in Western Australia. So. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, um, whale sharks. Think about that. Just think about yeah. that. The level like, of awesome. That would be legendary. Yeah. That's up there <laughs> on my bucket list. There. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why are there all these dive shops with whale sharks painted on the side of the building? Mm, that would be so cool. Yeah. yeah. That's up I'm there sure with my like a crap month. It's I can't imagine it's going to be a month where, you know, uh, your herping would be good or something. It's probably inconveniently <laughs> times. There's always right. things like that, like local things that, like sometimes you like you don't miss, you don't realize. Like first time I went to Alice Springs, I just missed the regatta. You know, but regatta is a boat race. Yeah, right. Uh, there's a regatta every year on the Todd River, which goes to the middle of Alice Springs. Only there's no water in the Todd River. The Todd River. The confluence of those two rivers in Alice Springs is in the confluence of two rivers, but there really is only water actually in those rivers maybe once or twice in a decade. But they have a regatta every year, which apparently seems to be a bunch of drunk Australian dudes with rowboats. So they had cut the bottoms out of the boat and they just have handles inside. So it's like the Flintstones. They're just running through the dirt river bottom with no water carrying the boat with them and have a race. Okay. <laughs> God. It's like the funniest thing I've ever seen. I missed it by like a day because I didn't know it existed. I'm like, the next time I go to Alice Springs, I'm definitely going to be there for that because you know that's going to be a good time. That would oh, be yeah. hilarious. That's yeah. going to be a good Yeah, I like that. It's like, yeah, I don't know. The herping is the, the primary the thing that gets you down there, but there's usually other things like, you know, you know to not go, not go scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef is criminal. You know, to not do these other things and make it a more well rounded plus. You know, after like a week of living in a car, basically in the hot desert, you probably need to get in the water and wash the crud off on yourself. <laughs> so that mm-hmm. yeah. pretty well too. True story. So, you know, go there. It's not about being comfortable. It's about- <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not picking so up fun. girls there, or uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, you're, there, you're there for a reason. God. Didn't cats bring like uh, all kinds of stuff? That he's like, oh uh, my god. <laughs> I can do a whole show on like the funny things that happened at Stephen Katz's Stephen Katz's expense on that trip. Oh my god! <laughs> it was just like you know, some people are like underprepared for whatever's going to happen. I didn't sure. think anybody was over just overprepared. Like he bought like a like a nail manicure and shit thing. Like what are you doing? Like <laughs> he also got this weird idea. That somehow there might be the possibility that we would meet women along this trip. I'm like, dude, you don't even know see another human. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> we're like the, 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 the saying we're in the middle of nowhere is not even accurate. Like we're like, there's no nothing. Like you're not. What are you? What are you worried about? Like, oh my god. Like, I mean, living in a car basically with a bunch of dudes and like everybody's gonna smell bad and they're sleeping on the dirt sometimes. It's like it's not. It ain't that kind of a vacation. He even so, packs like his own swim fins and snorkeling gear. I'm like, you play rent that stuff. Like, what do you? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It's like, yeah, there's a. We had a lot of fun. The uh, uh, <laughs> little Stephen. He became. He was definitely. He was a good sport about it. But he said, well, you know, you, I'm sure Chris. I'm sure Chris told you some stories. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the, all the all the wet all the wet wipes and the. 
and the barbecue sauce. He was literally trying to bring back like a half-used bottle of barbecue sauce that he bought there. Like, I'm not going to let you with like a half, like a questionable liquid on a plane that's like a half-empty <laughs> bottle of barbecue sauce. Well, I could, wasn't like, it you would be literally like raised? a $3 mm-hmm. bottle of barbecue yeah, it was a yeah. barbecue sauce you can buy at any store. It wasn't even like some crazy, crazy oh, Australian geez. barbecue sauce you had to try to break home. It was like just some regular old stuff you get here. And it was a half-used bottle of barbecue Why are you even carrying this around? Like, I don't even... <laughs> it's like, just what are you doing? <laughs> Multiple packages of like baby wipes, and we just uh, kept mocking him endlessly about the baby wipes the whole time. And then at the very last day, we get back from the Cape, or we get to, and the car is just trash. Like driving a Subaru Outback from Karen all the way to Vimaga at the tip of the peninsula, all the way back on all that dirt road does not make a clean car. Like it was mm-hmm. like a level of filthy you can't even imagine. So we took it through like a car wash where we turned it back in the rental place and still the door jams were like just so Stephen busts out the wet wipes and was the hero and he's like, See, I told you he's coming handy. <laughs> we're like, Clean all the cars all these wet wipes. <laughs> like why do you <laughs> like he thought he had the last lap on that one, but why do you carry all these you don't need to have a bunch of wet wipes? Okay. So I'll, I'll take those out of my bag, you know. No, no, no tons of wet wipes. Yeah, you know. Come on, Owen. This is good. Oh, this is man. good. I'm learning. Yeah, you're learning. So, Meat pie. Yeah. Oh my god. Roll with ketchup. Yeah. No yeah. wipes. No wet wipes. Um, leave my pedicure kit at Coffee. home. I got it. Yeah. Yeah, Ice I got you. Coffee. It's all good. Ice break. Ice ice break. Break. Dude, I already found yeah. pictures of the bottle That's and I about- saved it on my phone. I got it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yes. So yeah, good, yeah. so good. Yeah, now you guys are gonna have fun. We just leaving in October. Uh, yeah, yeah. End of October. Yeah. Yep. End of October. Yep. We go from here to How LA. A week. Some of that. No, right? we're ten. Ten days. Ten days. It is. Ten days. Ten, twelve days, something like that. Ten yeah. days. It's so. real because you got to come from the East Coast. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Like can't be any worse. You know, I can get to L.A. and it's like two and a half hours to L.A. for me. Yeah, we're you just take you a little bit long. We're leaving the twenty fourth, and we're back this second. Right. So, yeah, should be good. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Uh, I gotta just getting uh coordinating who's gonna take their animals and stuff. Needs to be the kids and dogs and animals and stuff. You usually take a lot of logistical <laughs> planning on my part to leave the country. But I'm overdue, man. Like I'm I've been I out know. of the country it's been a couple of years. Yeah. I had like a ridiculously complicated vacation totally planned and paid for. They totally got scuttled at the last minute because I apparently date uh, the wrong people. I'm like girlfriend at the time. Oh she was Oh my God, so it's how dumb I am. Like I <laughs> what stupid Nick is sometimes. But this whole trip to go to, like, uh, Greece, and including out to, like, Santorini Island in the Aegean, because that's basically Atlantis, literally. That's a whole other story. But uh, Santorini, uh, I want to go through the Minoan ruins at Aquatiri in the southern part of the island. Yeah. Through Italy and everything, all this planet, yeah. meet up with some friends in Italy and all this. It's, it's like, 
this ridiculous amount of money, everything paid for, nothing refundable, and then like the chick I was dating decided, you know what would be better than uh, going this like life-altering trip would be to we just break up like 36 hours before the plane leaves. Like, <laughs> oh jeez! Like, are you oh, kidding geez. me? Like, that, but, yeah, I just like it was crazy. Like, oh my god, I've made an enormous mistake. Oh, so wow. that was uh, <laughs> that was my last international trip. Like, I. I had, the, I had the, all the fun of planning and paying for it, but nobody actually went. Uh, oh, so God. I'm due. No. I'm, I'm overdue. Yeah. I try to go one, somewhere once a year or so. Uh, yeah, I'll go to Australia again. Fuck it. That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see Hell if yeah. Eric and I are still speaking to each other after 10 days in a car as well as plane ah, rides we'll and good. things like that. Maybe you know, we'll if, be, if we're still trying to kill each other at this point. right now something is – I'm going to – my uh, clairvoyant powers are uh, pretty oh, okay. huge in this regard, and they will, I will tell you what. Here's something that's going to happen. Mm. At some point, every single person is in your car. I don't know who all is gone. Is Chris gone this time, or is it just you guys and Rob? It's, it's me, me, Rob, Keith, McPeak, and Owen. Yep. Four. All right, so the four of you. Uh, yep. At some point, every one of you will snap. Because <laughs> you're not, I mean, even if they're like you're with, you're like, you're with your good friends and everything, and that's cool, and you hang out with those guys a lot, but you're not really supposed to live in a car with them. Like, literally, like, you're so close to them that you can smell them when they're not even around because you're just like right there. Like, your shoulders like touching another dude for just day after day, and you're living in a car. You're not supposed to be living in somebody else's back pocket, basically, for that extended amount of time. And eventually, you'll all snap. At some point, it'll be different. It'll be different days and at different times, but everybody's gonna snap once and just blow up. Like, oh my God! Like, I thought Chris was going to murder somebody. <laughs> yeah, he told me that story. We blew, the, <laughs> we blew the second tire. Like, oh my God! Like, he he's a pretty mellow dude, but like, you could just tell like. Nobody even speaks right now. Like he is gonna literally stab somebody. I, you can just see that look in his eyes. Like, oh my god, someone might die tonight. This is he is not. I mean, so we're walking like for an hour through the rainforest to get on dry. Well, everyone else is putting along with a flat tire to get to the road where he can change it and call for help. In the middle of the night, the day before we leave, and so I go up and start walking with Chris and. About to walk for like a half an hour in awkward silence, just nobody even speaking before even words were exchanged. It was like he was okay. Because he had said, like, well, he had voices, said, This is a bad idea. We're already on a false fare. It's not worth risking it. And he was completely proven right, really quickly, actually. Right. But uh, yeah, oh my God. I, my first Western Australia trip, I'm like, like, I just got so pissed at, like, Mark and Ryan everybody. I think it was over something stupid, like, whether or not we were trying to meet up with the other guys, be separated, and we are trying to – there was confusion as to where we were meeting around this, like, park with a pond in it and purse. And, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I felt particularly aggrieved. I just I got out of the car. The hardly barely even stopped moving. I just went on a walk all by myself. No idea where everybody else got. <laughs> Walked around the little lake thing. You just – and the situation does not call for that at all. But you just get so, just like the attention will build. It's like, so yeah, you're all going to snap on each other at some point. Somebody's going to go take a walk. It's, it's so uh, true. Oh, it's so true. Oh, my God. 
We all snapped on Steve. Yeah, it's just like it, even Steven snapped on the rest of us for picking on him. Like we, like, it's like at some point you're all gonna snap. Oh, but that makes I can't it a better wait. Stories like it wouldn't be it wouldn't be good stories if nobody ever snapped and tried to kill anybody or anything <laughs> like this. That's my fear is that Eric's just going to finally be like, I've had enough of you. Well, Eight years of no. this shit and just you know, so, stabbing. I can, <laughs> I can tell, I can I tell mean, you my like a, sna- a, I was going to say, I can tell you what? my snap story. My snap story yep. was we're driving in a car and, you know, Chris is hungry. I'm hungry. Rob's not, he's not neither hungry nor not hungry. He's just like, you know, he's whatever. There. He just needs right? this. So we're driving around and we're driving through Atherton and Chris is like saying, like, we're looking for a spot to stop. Right. And he's like, you know, let's stop here. And then, you know, it's like, nah, we don't want to stop there. Let's stop here. Nah, we don't want to stop there. And, you know, I can just feel the tension starting to build between Chris and Rob. Right. It's just like, I can just feel it. And then I felt like the dad and I turn around and I said, Knock it the fuck off! You gotta stop it! I can't stand this! We're in Australia! Jesus Christ, man! This is the greatest experience ever in your fucking life! <laughs> Oh like, my god! Going to full on dad mode. Don't make yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. So I will turn it around. I'll turn the whole hundred percent. Turn the car around. <laughs> oh then, yeah, it happens. It's gonna happen. And Chris snapped when we went into, I don't even know what the goddamn shape of this park was, but we decided to go to this park and we were walking through it and we parked the car on the one side and we come out and were you ever somewhere and you feel like the car is going to be there? Like it's there. It has to be there. You know it. You feel it. Over the hill, yeah. And we we walked there. So we're walking around like... We must have, it was like eight blocks, right? And Chris is like, dude, we should probably just, you know, he kept saying, we should probably just go back or do this or whatever. And we kept, I kept saying, nah, man, I think it's right around the corner. I think it's right around the corner. And he's just like, God damn it. The cops ended up picking us up and (laughs) taking us back to our car. It's pretty good. But that makes for a funnier trip. Like, it does. The first time I was up there at all, like, we ran into like, very first time we're in like this little tiny like micro bus thing. It was really super small, but you actually slept like three people. Mm. Tiny little micro camper thing. It was smaller. It's like ridiculously small. We wrecked it twice. Like, oh, <laughs> like minor like like back into a back into a something to pull, like it was blocking the off like a like those concrete filled steel poles that you know parked oh, somewhere. We backed that and bent the bumper. <laughs> So I'm like oh, trying to find and found the Australian equivalent of a dollar store. And I used to work at a body shop and yet another career I used to have. Like I'm fixing the bumpers so no one will know. Parked in the underground. We're in like Port, we're in like Port Townsend and Port Douglas. I can't remember which. And there's like a parking garage. It's like downtown. It's like they're down below ground, the lower level one. There's like a roll up steel door that rolls up. It tells you like it's only so high, but we just. Came blasting right out of there and hit the top of it. And there's like this, like on the raised fiberglass top where the like bed is up there. There's like this, like little vent thing that sticks up a little bit. We just sheared it completely off. Just boom! Just oh my god! <laughs> just oh my god. god! Oh god! Uh, like yeah. Like well, oh, I'll just see if they say anything when we turn this in. I guess they didn't notice. Like, like somebody's gonna be sleeping up there and it's gonna rain. And the thing that keeps the rain shield is just not even there now. Right. Oh jeez. Yeah, oh, man. 
uh, yeah, the, you know, the greater tragedy is is that you get through your whole life and you don't have any cool stories like that, you know, where you, yeah, you've not done no. anything and where something goes wrong. Because oh yeah, the best stories aren't worth. Man, everything really awesome. It's the stuff that didn't go awesome that makes for the better stories, you know. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. That's the that's the funnier stuff. It's like you know when somebody snaps. It is funny when the snap was going to happen at the time. It gets mm-hmm. to be funny the next few days after you think about it. It just it just gets hysterical as time goes by. At the moment, it's like oh shit, I'm about to go in there. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh my ass off every time I think about it. Yeah. At the time, it was like ooh, ooh. <laughs> awkward. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. Well, I think Fun we're going to be cut cut off here at any uh, any second. Yeah, got, yeah. Got ten minutes, I think. So, um, the one yeah, thing I didn't get no, to ask I'm you, Nick, rambling on anyway. <laughs> real quick. Okay. Have you had success with Woma eggs? What's the secret? Yeah. What I mean, no I know they have to be kept. That's okay, good. Good job. That's a great. That, just what we needed. Over. <laughs> this has been tips with Nick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're not. They're not that hard. They're. Uh, I I I put them in the incubator right next to everything else. Uh, I do tend to. I use the light diffuser panel with all my eggs, and I. Uh, uh, I tend to mix the vermiculite or perlite, whichever I'm using them at the, on that particular day, because it doesn't really matter because they're not touching it anyway. I tend to right. mix that a little drier, and then okay. maybe I'll have an extra ventilation hole, so slightly more ventilation. It's just you don't want to be quite as humid, but you don't. They need to be humid. They look, right. Mm-hmm. Some people, I think they they go too wet and they screw them up, and then they go the opposite direction too far and they go too dry, and okay. it's the eggshells. This kind of goes to egg management again. Back to bringing it full circle right now. Uh, right. Egg management. <laughs> if your eggshells get too dry and desiccated, they get really hard, and the babies can't slit through them. They're not supple enough to slit, and they'll die. Uh, mm. So you find that right balance of humidity and everything. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, you can tell a lot by just you know, keep an eye on your eggs. Check on them all the time. You'll see if they're drying out, they're getting hard, they're collapsing too early. Uh, right. You know, you can you can tell they should start to collapse a bit, but that should be the very very end. If they're collapsing a lot early on, it's because you don't have enough moisture. And you can add. I mean, I can't. I mean, every year it's like, oh, I, you can add some more moisture, some more water to the vermiculite mixture or whatever with the eggs in there. You can totally do that. I do it all the time. Like, right. Uh, and kind of and bring that up and everything. But I think if you set it and forget it, so to speak, you might be asking a problem. So just keep an eye on things, and if you might need to make small calculated adjustments, uh, it usually it's not going to be detrimental. But Woma eggs, are, they're not too bad. Uh, did you get bad? Did you get Woma eggs? No, no, not yet, but I'm uh, going to be breeding them probably next year, maybe. I and did, I just, and I ruined it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is good for me. I finally got a clutch of Womas this year, and I lost all the eggs. I finally got – I bred them a bunch of times in years past, and I got rid of all those because I was able to get an unrelated line of Womas right. from Europe, and so I only have the new line of Womas. And I've never got a damn egg in, like, four years of trying. It's very frustrating mm-hmm. uh, with 2.2, no less. And this year, I thought, like, oh, my God, I think one of the females is actually going to go. I was so excited. 
and I kept thinking, I kept checking to see when she's going to have a pre lay shed. And I looked for the pre lay shed one day, and there were eggs just all over the place. She had literally <laughs> not had oh, a pre lay shed at all. Uh, and I thought she was getting ready to have a pre lay shed, and she is, in fact, already getting ready to drop. And she wasn't coiled up on the eggs, and the eggs were just kind of sitting in a couple spots, and they were ice cold to the touch. I mean, the room was like 80, but right. they're, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know when she laid them. Like, it clearly had been a few days of them just being scattered in the four corners of the earth, so unsurprisingly, they did not make it. They probably gotcha. also were getting rolled around. Uh, right, that, yeah. That was a kick in the nuts. Yeah. But, uh, but at least I know they're not broken. They can do it. And they were all fertile, too. But Right. Uh, better luck next time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's just weird. Every once in a while, you get one that doesn't. That, you, get, you realize how reliant you are on that pre-lay shed to know what you can you eye just the wrist wasn't one. Yeah. It's pretty unusual for them not to have a pre-lay shed. But, but again, it was only like six eggs. So, you know, if it would have been a larger ovulatory swelling from a, what would have been a larger clutch would have triggered a shed. It might have just been it was such a small clutch. Right. It just right. didn't quite uh, trigger trigger that. So, yeah. No. Everything else is hatching now. Man, I got four clutches hatching right now. Oh, nice. Damn. Do I hang over to you guys? I got to go. Oh, yeah. It's like I've got tiger darwins and albino tiger darwins hatching. I got anteriors and children's pythons hatching. I got maclots hatching. Oh, I got rock and coastal hatching. That's all oh, at this moment. They're all hatching. <laughs> nice. Oh, I got yeah. plenty for you if you need some. Yeah, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but I don't. I should, right. but I shouldn't. Yeah. yeah all fun stuff. What? You just need a hypocoastal, and that's what you need. That don't do, do yes and no. Yeah, <laughs> I know I do. It's hurt that I don't have one. No. Pretty easy remedy for that. I know. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> there you go. I think I just had. Uh, so. Just had like six or seven. I do have a hypo to hypo clutch that's ten days out. Oh, nice. About a dozen eggs. From high... Yeah, I, got a, go. I have a pair of adult hypos, so I've got, I'm hoping, here's hoping for a super. Uh, uh. We'll know in a couple <laughs> weeks, or maybe we'll know. I, I really don't know what to expect, so maybe it'll be easy to tell. Maybe it won't be. Maybe I'll have bad luck. Maybe it'll be awesome. Who knows? I yeah. just know I won't be cutting the eggs open early to play peekaboo. That's what I do know. That's all right. that's what we do know. Oh, that was uh, the, <laughs> the lesson learned here today. We're not gonna be so chopping, that... we're not gonna saw the top of the egg off a week early to play peekaboo. Yep. Right. Responsibly manage that clutch. It does make you nervous with stuff like that. Like, oh come on, don't lose any eggs late term. Come on. <laughs> I get, oh. I get a little nervous. Uh, that's how I was with the gelatin eggs. They, they took a little longer. Yeah. yeah. But, Mine are weird. Like, cool. like three quarters of them haven't shed yet. Like, like what are you guys waiting for? Like, uh, <laughs> I hatched a few this year, too. Yours yeah. got to be years a little older than mine. I think yours hatched here a couple weeks before me, I think. Yeah, yeah I was surprised with the stripes in that clock. Holy shit, a lot of stripes. Yeah, I get a fair few stripes ones. And aberrant ones, we get kind of a good mix of all different looks. Yeah. I have a stripe cool, project man. for literally everything. I don't have a gelatin one. I have like, like, should I keep back on these stripey ones and try that? Or See what happens? Man, yeah. 
I have striped Brisbane's. I have striped Ivories. I have striped Darwins that are extremely striped now. Several generations in on that. Like you, carpets do what you can. Any weird stripey thing, you can usually like make more of them. It doesn't take that long. Like make a stripe line. It's pretty easy. Um, Yeah. They seem to respond really well to that. So maybe I'll keep some striped Ivories and go that direction with that. People seem to hash them all the time. So. Awesome. Very cool. Oh yeah, Owen. Oh, Eric, not Owen. Owen I'm Owen. Yeah. Me, but Eric, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, Eric, Eric's been beating me up for years about some ivory stuff. So this is a year. Yes, finally. <laughs> Weirdly, like Eric's come full circle now. Like now, Eric's got to the point where I'm getting snakes from him now. Yeah. Like, I got some stuff from last year. Yeah. I got some that I need to see this year. Like I'm like. What the hell like, is happening? Uh, the table's a turn now. Like, I'm, I'm beating him up for a few things, right? Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Do the favorite thing uh, of trading. Yeah. I'm what is that? I'm, the, uh, the student. Uh, the master. No, I wouldn't go that far, buddy. But, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say that either. Well, then pump the brakes. Too far. That's happened a bunch of times. Like, oh, look. Our friend Brandon Wheeler, like, there's a brand for every five million snakes around here. I'm buying snakes and bought some snakes from him finally this year. Like, oh, crappy. <laughs> like, that's why I bought some scrub pythons of all things from him. Yeah. I think it's cool. I will point yeah, out, I'm going to give you a shout out, though. Not that you need one because you're on your own radio show. So that's <laughs> kind of pointless. But, uh, I'd just like to say, like, those two exantic Papuan females you sent me are amazing. They're also horrible. They're like <laughs> phenomenal looking. They don't look anything like each other at all. They're completely opposite of each other, but they're both equally awesome, but they're not similar for being sisters. They look completely right. different. You see this right. weird, shocking amount of variation and very different looks. They're opposite of the spectrum, but both are awesome. And neither one of them have ever missed a meal. Ate a rat on the first attempt. Never, except for they've also never not bit me. Like, there's never been a day that I interacted with them that did not end in bloodshed of my, I mean, bleeding. Like, they're like, yeah, they're just the evil. absolute <laughs> meanest things. They are so unbelievably evil. I mean, I don't care if they're evil. I'm like, fine. You want to be a jerk? Be a jerk as long as you eat. Like, I don't care. I get right. it. But they are, uh, they are, I'm just thrilled with how those are turning out, other than their attitude. Nice. Weirdly, like, the two African rock pythons. No problem. <laughs> the Poplar carpets are horrible. Like, they're nice. absolute, the embodiment of evil. The two rock pythons, what do you know? Like, I really don't like it through with me. Like, yeah. Like, yeah it's like, uh, I still look at them like they're going to get shady at some point. Like, uh, I don't trust you guys, even though you don't give me any reason to not. But, <laughs> but yeah. Nice. Good, good stuff. So I'll be expect- yeah, man. I'd be expecting that uh, that box, that pair of jungle carpets in it, Eric. <laughs> well, they. Uh... When, when, when might I expect my my uh, my lightning jungle? Oh, <laughs> you want to see that to the lightning lines? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I know they're in, they're I'm in high demand, for, man. I've been keeping tabs patiently. I've been <laughs> waiting patiently there for years now. So Nick, Nick that. is front, Nick is front of the line. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it literally has been years. Like, I'm like, come on now. It'll eventually get there. America doesn't, like, power feed and rush things. Like, he's pretty patient with this stuff. But it's, right. uh, it's done. So, yeah. Um, yeah, now they all just sure. shed. 
they all just shed. So I'm going to try to feed them uh, probably in the next day or two and see how that goes. But they're nice. Yeah. They're nice. Holy yeah. shit, are they nice. Wow. <laughs> I've had a... Very cool. Yeah, I've got a... It's been a good year for stripe stuff, I guess. <laughs> I've had, like, the best bunch of Palmerston jungles I've ever hatched. Like, I've even bred this pair of snakes together before, but, like, holy crap, some of the stripes are just... The worst one of the clutch is amazing, but some of them are just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for stripey stuff, so... Me too. Who is <laughs> Me Not just like good dorsal stripes. You start to get that super wide stripe, like you get like a tiger coastal where the stripe is really fat, thick. Yes. Yeah, you know, like starting to get starting to get that now. I'm like, yeah. But it's it's back to that selective breeding. It's like it's just, that's the funnest part of this. Like stable to show like generations or generations or generations. I love these ivories I'm hatching now because it's been twenty five years. And eight generations, and that's awesome in my opinion. Like I just love to, to stick with something for so long, and then you ultimately you end up with something that is so different and unique. Just you just create it out of whole cloth, basically, and then be a patient, plug it away, and you can do that with anything. You imagine yeah. the selective breeding potential for inland, for blue inland carpets. Yes. If you, oh like, God. If you focus on that for. If you if I gave you twenty five years, twenty five years and eight generations, could you imagine you'd have a blue and pink snake? It'd be blue and pink flames coming up like you we'll just be saying, needle, like Yeah. We'll yeah, see so, uh, if you focus for that long and that many generations on pattern reduction and poplin carpets, what would you end up with? You'd have a crazy weird snake. Yeah. Uh, sticking with it and plugging away and I don't know. To me, that's the stuff I get most. I'm most excited about this year. My ivories and ooh, look at that! Like I've been a long time since I actually bothered to make very many of them. So I feel like I feel like I feel like when you Hmm. do that, it's kind of like something that somebody can't copy. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of your direction when you're looking at a specific, uh, you know, trait. You know, nobody nobody yeah. can come along and just yeah. copy it from you. I mean, they can, you know, get your animals well, and make like, more, but it's sort mixing, of your signature. If you're just mixing morph A with morph B, anybody can do that, and multiple people will do that. Sure. Um, if you're looking at a long-term strategic sort of, I'm going to try to create this and go in this direction, you don't really know where it takes you, but, I mean, that's kind of like – Every that phenomenon where every plus there's going to be one or two babies that are better than both of the parents in that particular regard. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And carpets seem to do really respond well to selective breeding uh, efforts. So really, the sky's the limit for what you can create. I think people sometimes forget that. Like you make whatever crazy thing you want. Mm-hmm. You can you can make any carpet buys on stripes pretty much. You can make a striped version of any of them. Just it doesn't even, that doesn't even take very long. Like, I am absolutely, like, perplexed why we are not inundated with glow-in-the-dark, yellow-and-black striped jungle carpets. Why are there no, like, consistently, like, awesome striped jungle lines? Like, that would be the easiest, lowest-hanging fruit of all low-hanging fruits for selective breeding, and yet there isn't. Everyone's yep. here or there, hit or miss a little, but there's nobody like a really awesome striped jungle project, and it's the easiest thing in the world. Like, why does that not exist? I, I have no idea, but we're going to get cut off here like any freaking second, Nick. So if you get anything else you want to toss yeah, out, gotta, toss it. 
I'm all out of ideas now, so. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful. No, dude, thank you for coming on and uh, hanging with us. Yeah. As always, my friends, I'll talk to you guys later, right? All right, all right Nick. Thanks, Nick. All right. All right. You know. All right. All right. Let's close it out real quick. <laughs> Quickly. Uh, <laughs> Gonna cut off. Um, next week, I will not be here. Uh, it will be you with Rob Stone, My and you will, yeah. yeah, you will be talking uh, Asian colubrids, other colubrids, Ooh. Angolans. Ooh. Uh, yeah, it's right up your Ooh. alley, boy. Yeah, yeah. good job, yeah. Rob. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll 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 enjoy it. Um, okay. Uh, and then Maria Path and Radio for us. You can follow us at whatever you know. Uh, is you under that. Uh, yeah. yeah. For me, EB Morelia, and that's all I got. Uh, calendar competition is on Morelia Pick of the Week. Go there, put your pictures on. If you're posting a really good picture to the Pick of the Week and you didn't enter it into the calendar, I'm going to start screaming at you. So put it right. in the calendar competition. God damn it. Um, and then also for me, also on Instagram, and that's it. We'll this Saturday, thank- Southwest Carpet Fest. I forgot. Sorry. Southwest Carpet Fest. There's that too. All right. Brian so Cooch thank everybody out. for listening. And uh, we'll say we'll catch everybody back here next week for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night. <laughs>